I would ask that viewers at home turn their volume down because I might get crazy. Welcome to the zoo. We are the monkeys. His delivery doctor was drunk. Left three extra inches of umbilical. Gary Hoffman. He's blind as a bat and drunk as a skunk. Shannon Farron. You got to be. If I wanted crap shoved down my throat, I'd be a foie gras goose. Gary and Shannon. AM640 more stimulating talk. It is the Gary and Shannon show for your 24th of June 2019. Gary and Shannon on vacation. And uh, full disclosure, because Shannon is on Instagram. She's in Paris, was in Paris yesterday. And I texted her this morning. I, I don't know why. I thought she mentioned last week that she was going to try to go to this game, but which is not in Paris. But I get it. So anyway. I asked her if she would call in, and she said, you don't want me calling in. So uh, we will not be hearing from Shannon Farron. Good. Uh, she like, needs a break. I know. <laughs> and, uh, That's awful, asking someone to call on their vacation. Well, I just thought everyone had the same commitment to excellence of radio. That, <laughs> no one's as committed as you, Brian. But, um, no, I don't think she's in any, in any condition to uh, to have done that. Amy King, along for the ride. And I haven't seen you for a while. How are things? Great. Um, uh, same with me. Uh, how many times have you seen John Wick 3 now? Sorry. Zero. Um, 30th horse, dead at Santa Anita, um, uh, and, and they did it to commemorate the end of the racing season. But uh, we'll, we'll get to that um, because uh, fi- that's the first story I've heard. Like, like a month ago, when at, at peak Santa Anita um, reporting, I was wondering, how come nobody in L.A. media is giving giving any context. I need to know what does normal look like. What did last year look like? The year before, and it wasn't hard to find. And I think stories. We're in the midst of, of this phenomenon where stories like dead American tourists in the Dominican Republic, um, thousands of kids, uh, um, and and one or two have died uh, that with, lack context. And Santa Anita dead horses lack context. And I I've never been to a horse race in my life. I've never been to a track. I understand it's fun, uh, the whole deal. But it, it took me all of 30 seconds of research to find the measurement of lethality of a track. And this is like two months ago on the, the Twitter machine at Dark Secret Place. You can go back and find it. Uh, on, on the Sunday show, Super Hyper Local Sunday, we got this weekend where it was like three, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, a third horse, di- three horses died in one weekend or something, whatever it was. And I was wondering, well, is, is this really, really unusual? The things I found out are that Santa Anita is by far not the deadliest track in the country and that horses die, le- less horses die, and more horses died at Santa Anita in prior years. 20 years ago, way more horses died. Overall, horse deaths at Santa Anita in particular are down and that the organization that tracks lethality of, of horses are around the, the country has a couple different uh, measurements and the basic measurement is how many horses die total at the track per 1,000 starts, meaning races held. Um, and and amongst those, there's a track in Illinois outside Chicago that is the deadliest. Churchill Downs was number two. Santa Anita was just number three this year. And and, and as uh, Amy King just said, uh, they're in top of the hour news. This is actually uh, less than other years. So I just I just makes me wonder well, why this year is this the story. Um, and then the other measurement, again, the context that we're not uh, getting, is that turf is the least deadly 
surface. Synthetic turf is the second least de- deadly, and dirt ha- is the deadliest or with the highest lethality rate. I shouldn't say deadly, like you know, whatever. But um, like you're dead because you're on turf. But but uh, dirt is the the one that that corresponds to the most horse death per track. So so there uh, there is that. Makes uh, me sad. Yeah, well, I'm, because it's I think it's such a beautiful thing, and then you see that. You know, horses, they break their legs and then they shoot them. And that's it. I know. See <clears throat> and, and they're, you know, and thoroughbreds are, you know, they were but through selection. This is what you get. You get a horse that does nothing but take deep, deep breaths and run really, really fast. But they're extremely delicate. And I, I we don't ride our, our horse, Canela, at home. We don't ride her. I don't ride her. I'm not a good enough rider. We have, there's, there's these girls from Santa Clarita. From these Santa Clarita uh, Rangers, who are really—I mean, these are you know seventeen, you know, high school, college girls, really, really experienced equestrians. They've been riding since they were six and seven in Santa Clarita. They come up and they ride her. They can manhandle her. They 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 know what to do. I don't. The thing that blows me away is uh, that I didn't know about horse anatomy, and because I I wash her, I hose her down, feed her, we bond. She likes me. Uh, they don't have any any muscles below the, and I know that there's phrases phraseology for this. I'm I don't have them committed to memory, but you know, at the horse's knee, from there down to the to the hoof, there's no muscle. It's just tendon, and it's remarkable how narrow how thin that is. I mean, it really, it when I, whenever I see her run, uh, seeing all that weight, seeing whatever thirteen hundred pounds, uh, it it blows me away that it doesn't happen every single race uh, at a thoroughbred. Uh, a racetrack. But then again, that's why, you know, those horses, their window of actual competition is so narrow. You you raise them, you train them, they race. If they survive and they win, you put them out to pasture where they spend the rest of their life making more of them. So, so it's like, like I say, I don't, I don't have an opinion either way, but I did, I started detecting that there's, there's a, there's a lot of people connected to certain interest groups in, in Southern California who took a sudden interest to this started protesting around it, gave us no context. They just gave us protests outside Santa Anita. And I got the feeling that they were trying to do a SeaWorld, that they were trying to do a blackfish on this. Because SeaWorld, when that documentary showing <clears throat> that the the orcas held by SeaWorld were not in any way, shape, or form being held uh, in a way uh, that, that uh, was similar whatsoever to living out in the in the open ocean and that they had an orca that was known to be trouble uh and all that and they kept breeding that one that that put an end to to that they virtually shut down sea world they had to basically reinvent themselves but that's so much different than tracks around the country because tracks around the country make uh santa anita's city of arcadia and and that makes you know so you're not going to get you can get a public outcry against tracks, and you can get someone maybe calling for uh, boycotting tracks. You know, good luck with that, because the people who already go to the track are not going to listen to you. They've been to the track, they see what happens, and they go back. And the cities aren't going to shut them down because they are cash cows. Around the country, they're cash cows, because what do people do? They go there all day long. They park, they go there all day long. When they get out, they go to a different restaurant or or whatever, but so you're, they're probably they're not gonna they're not gonna blackfish the horse racing industry, uh, and so anyway, it, it's also the end of the season, Santa Anita. So now it's going to be off the headlines, and the last headline is that there were actually fewer uh, deaths than the average year. So 
there is that. The uh, a, a lot of things to get to. A, a really bizarre. Uh, Amy King, did you see that story out of Santa Maria um, over the weekend on Friday afternoon at the old folks' home? No, I shouldn't say that. A retirement mobile home estate. So you have guys in their seventies golfing, and what it is is it's a it's like a community fence fence community, and these aren't trailers; these are the mobile homes with the two halves, you know. And they put them together on a foundation, and there's no yard, but you know you you have your home. And there was a putt putt golf, not a not a miniature golf, uh, but a really small course with greens and short fairways, and it's called pitch and putt. You walk around with your sand wedge and a and a putter. So there's three men, um, one. Two of them have a problem with guy number three. Guy number three either had a gun on him or he went back to his unit and got a gun. But anyway, two men, 70 and 78, they're dead at the clubhouse in the middle of this uh, community there in Santa Maria. And if you've never been through Santa Maria, lovely little coastal town. um, I don't know. One of the few places apparently you can afford to retire in California. Uh, He kills the two men, goes back to his unit. And uh, Santa Maria police and fire get there. There's an explosion. It's burning. There's three dead in there. So he he goes in and either kills the two other occupants and kills himself or whatever. But ammunition was popping off for hours and hours. And uh, so we might get more out of that in uh, up in Santa Barbara County. Very, uh, very, very curious thing. Um, and we'll be uh, tracking reaction. The Iranian government already with an er- early reaction to President Trump's uh, announcement this morning. Uh, to additional sanctions. These were laid on. The, these were going to take place on June 24th. These are not a reaction to the, the shoot-down of uh, an American drone. Um, these, these were set uh, by the Treasury Department to, uh, to go into effect today, but they don't go into effect until the president signs them. He could have sat there and announced that he wasn't going to sign them. But, but uh, the, the, the point that we're still pressing home with the Iranians is a little, little obscure, but I'll uh, make sense of it here in a little bit. Also, the uh, the road closures for Deputy Joseph Solano's funeral services are in effect till noon today, and we'll tell you if those affect you uh, whatsoever. And uh, just I don't know what his schedule is, I but uh, apparently the governor's not there, and I don't know is there is there an unwritten rule that the governor has to go to every single police funeral? I I don't know if there is is there isn't, but I just I thought I remembered that they generally kind of do. So uh, it is Gary and Shannon show. Brian's who's filling in. For uh, Gary and Shannon uh, here for the first three days of the week at Dark Secret Place on the Twitter machine. And we'll uh, talk to you here in a minute. If I am 640, more stimulating talk. Every time I move, every step that I take, everywhere I look, it's right in front of my face. We'll put in the shadows. If I am 640, more stimulating talk, Gary and Shannon show. Brian Sitz sitting in for Gary and Shannon and the uh, Women's World Cup. Daytime game is uh, ongoing, and uh, this is it's it's interesting because USA Sweden on Thursday a daytime game beat the NBA draft that night, and the NBA draft was a bit of a soup sandwich, but still it was you know it's a major professional sports league. But the Women's World Cup, which uh, was I think a noon game here on on the West Coast, but uh, it had over three million for Fox. Um, and the NBA drafted like two million or something, so it's it's uh, it's doing really well. And it's it's uh, there there's a controversy, and uh, and there's a viral video going around about contrasting the success of the women's World Cup team 
um, versus the uh, unfulfilled promise of the American World Cup team, men's World Cup team, and then it, it um, compares the the pay disparity between the the men are paid more, but it's really really simple. And sports viewing is a market, just like acting is a market, and and that's just that. That uh, America is the exception when it comes to women's World Cup. And uh, the the guys, men in blazers, who were on NBC Sports Network, Roger Bennett and the other guy, very, very funny guys. Very, very funny show. Watch their YouTube channel, Men in Blazers. Really funny guys. But they're naturalized Americans and from Britain. And the thing that they point out is... Um, the the widespread and now going into the thirtieth year, soccer is the dominant team sport for girls in America. Um, it 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 it's beaten out softball. It's beaten out everything else. Soccer is it. So you have this vast pool of athletic talent that start at a young age, and then when when girls turn twelve, there's no football. When boys turn twelve in Texas and they go to football, and that's that's the big dividing line. Uh, and so in America, you know, Fox is making a lot of money on on the Women's World Cup. So the American Women's World Cup team, uh, certainly after this year, depending on how they do, have a really legit claim to the U.S. Soccer Federation. Say, look, you know, we brought in viewers. Look what we did. So, you know, go go make that claim. But it's it, but it, the, the problem is you, you have to admit it's not relative. And, and the WNBA don't have the viewers that the NBA have. So – what in what world should they be paid equally when they start getting viewers and, and they start and it becomes a value to have them on the court? Then you get more money. It's it's uh, super simple. Um, I don't uh, I don't get it. But uh, anyway, uh, the other the other thing they're saying is that because the, the Europe has caught up quite a bit in the last four years, so this so the the normal U.S. women sort of powering through people may not happen. They may not even survive today as they're they're all tied up one all uh, with Spain. Uh, President Trump earlier today. Um, 5 a.m. Pacific time, uh, before he signed the sanctions, tweeting this. Uh, he said, quote, China gets 91% of its oil from the strait, Japan 62%, and many other countries likewise. So why are we protecting the shipping lanes for other countries many years for zero compensation? All of these countries should be protecting their own ships on what has always been a dangerous journey. We don't even need to be there and that the U.S. has just become... By far, the largest producer of energy anywhere in the world. The U.S. request for Iran is very simple. No nuclear weapons and no further sponsoring of terror. Close quote. Um, so someone needs to explain to him what's, what's called freedom of navigation. And the, the U.S. Navy's number one job is defense of the United States. But they have a side gig. And it's because the U.S. Navy is the largest in the world and, and omnipresent. And it's part of American foreign policy, uh, which is to enforce what is called freedom of navigation. And this is our number one claim with the Chinese claiming all the South China Sea, just because they dredged up coral and sand and made islands, um, th- uh, the world body, the uh, United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea, they disagree. They, they say you can't just make an island in the middle of the ocean and then suddenly enforce a 12-mile uh, national limit around it. It doesn't work like that. You can't order. You can't tell people to divert flying over, and you can't enforce fishing law and all that. So it's an extremely important principle uh, to enforce freedom of navigation around the world. And the U.S. Navy does that. The Royal Navy does that. We'd like to see um, the Chinese do it, but they, it's against their interests. But, but most navies, what used to be called show the flag, that's what you do. So the U.S. Navy obviously has, has been uh, for 50-plus years in the Persian Gulf 
and and we don't charge for it uh, um, because we're not a mercenary navy. Uh, but the the point he's making that hey, the United States bears a undue burden of this kind of task around the world, especially ensuring oil shipments uh, consistently clearing the Strait of Hormuz, when the United States in reality gets uh, very little amounts of, of oil specifically from the Persian Gulf. But in the big picture, if you don't know this, well, all of the world's oil is considered one big drum. And so if there's an effect on price in the Persian Gulf, it's going to affect us here. Because, yeah, you're damn right, Arco is going to charge you the opportunity cost. They're going to they're gonna raise their prices here because they could have diverted oil to Europe or, or whatever. So that's, that's how that works. We don't, we don't have a, a toll booth at the uh, Strait of Hormuz. Um, all right, uh, when we come back, a family in mourning, a coyote. Uh, coyotes these days, according to veterinarians, are uh, this is their pupping season, so they need to feed their babies. A, uh, a coyote breaking into a house in San Dimas and uh, doing its business, uh, doing what coyotes do to the family's 8-year-old Yorkie. Uh, that and more coming up. It is Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. Gary and Shannon, and uh, the I read you the president's tweet about why are we the security guards at the State of Hormuz uh, without compensation? Um, and that was from 5 a.m. this morning. Half an hour later, his Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who is in Saudi Arabia, <clears throat> uh, meeting with the King King Salman bin Abdulaziz Al Saud, not not his son MBS, probably on the side meeting with MBS. Anyway, Pompeo tweeted out. Productive meeting with King Salman bin da 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 today to discuss heightened tensions in the region and the need to promote maritime security in the Strait of Hormuz. Freedom of navigation is paramount. So there, he's uh, he's uh, he knows. Um, th- that's sort of the uh, the deal. And uh, for just not not for nothing, but um, uh, answering my question about is the governor at the Deputy Solano Memorial uh, the governor released. Um, last Wednesday, Governor Gavin Newsom today issued the following statement regarding the death of L.A. County Sheriff's Department Joseph Gilbert Solano. Jennifer and I are saddened to learn of Deputy Solano's tragic death. On behalf of all Californians, we offer our heartfelt condolences to Deputy Solano's loved ones and the entire L.A. County Sheriff's Department as they mourn Deputy Solano's loss and cope with the census killing. Um, and then uh, uh, he's not in attendance, I guess, is the uh, the, the bottom line. And I don't know how they do that. I don't know what the – I'm not going to bag on the guy for not being there. I mean, just, if he's got work, he's got work. But uh, there's uh, there's that. Well, it it is a, a wet winter does a couple things in our ecoscape around here. Um, one of them is that it gives us more snakes. So there's that. Um, also, generally, more deer. And if there's more deer, there's more coyotes. And the um, and I, and also you know what it's uh, it's not hurting the typhus either. Typhus. But as far as coyotes go, they literally they will have more pups if if there's a wet winter and they know there's more food. So there's more pups in more dens of more coyotes. So people are seeing increased coyote attacks, especially. Along the 210, along the the foothill, 
in uh, Monrovia, et cetera, Arcadia. Anyway, family in San Dimas. This is when coyotes get this bold, it means that they're desperate. They, they, had a, they had a coyote break into their house, and they were doing the right thing. Evidently, the dogs were inside. They were little, little Yorkies, little 8-pound dogs or 10-pound dogs. But the coyote broke in. Sandima's family is heartbroken tonight after their dog was killed by a coyote right inside of their home. Only NBC4's Kim Tobin spoke with the family who is hoping to spread the word and warn other dog owners in a story you'll see here for the first time. Kim. And Jonathan, this Yorkie was one that the family owned for eight years, so really a member of their family. You can imagine just how devastated they are tonight. It happened Thursday night when they were actually out here at their community off Cienega Avenue and Lone Hill Avenue. Shockingly, this family was not alone. Their complex issuing this alert to everyone, letting them know there were actually three attacks by coyotes. She holds up sheet of paper to camera. Coyotes on dogs all in that same night. Hi, my little one. An excited greeting at the door. Videos and pictures are all this family has left of their beloved rescue dog, Noah. People don't realize that pets are like children to us. Noah was my, my boy, you know. We do everything together. The Van Thiel family still traumatized. So, so obviously, the, the, they describe how uh, the, the family was alerted because the father, that guy you just heard, he, he came in to the scene. He found the room where the coyote had broken in because the coyote didn't finish everything. Uh, and left uh, parts of it behind, uh, they go on and talk to a veterinarian. They're looking for food. They need to feed their babies. And they hope the loss of their companion will be a message and a warning for other pet owners. I want his passing to just help other people and maybe save other fur babies. We want everybody to be aware that it will happen to them because we never, ever, that never crossed our mind. And, uh, yeah, so you're probably going to be hearing more of this because they, they've been pupping, um, a verb, and uh, the pups need to feed and the whole thing. And it's, and it's an ugly scene um, because the cats, cats too. Anyone seen a missing cat poster? Bad news. Um, they're in Arcadia, Monrovia, et, et cetera. But there's a couple that, that was it, um, and Newshound Amy King, sorry to interrupt. Uh, was it Dana Point that had the big coyote kerfuffle last year? Somewhere down there like that, right? Oh. Remember? The, the, I don't remember if it was Dana Point, but it, yeah, there was a lot of coyote attacks in one area. And they couldn't figure out how to get rid of them and uh, in, in, in the whole thing. And uh, they, they stopped using lethal methods and, and, and that whole deal. There, there, there is an answer <clears throat> in this. Uh, Dana Point does have a coyote hotline, though. 1-800-CRITTER. Really? Well, wait. Oh no, coyote wouldn't work. Okay, yeah, critter, critter's better. Seven numbers. Uh, here's the deal, and let's just do the trauma on this. Many of you, thing one, if you own a dog bigger than a coyote, you're okay. If the dog has a has a loud bark, that's a signal to a coyote to stay away from there. If you own a dog smaller than a coyote and you let it out in your backyard, there's a there's a really simple preventative measure that you can do to enhance your dog's survivability. And you're going to want to go to a pet store, a chain pet store, and buy a muzzle for the dog and muzzle the dog. You know why? Because those yappers are a signal to a coyote that something delicious, crunchy, and warm is on the other side of that fence. Mm -hmm. When a dog hears an Anatolian shepherd dog or a German shepherd, when a coyote hears a German shepherd, it says, not today, you know, and it moves on. But when it hears yip, 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 that may as well be a dinner bell. 
Um, I mean, really, literally, because you, you have to understand you're dealing with a life form that's an opportunist, and it is smarter than a dog. And the reason being, I was, I was in, in case you were listening to me last night, uh, just bear with me. I just want to explain this to people. But they're, they're brilliant. They're smarter than border collies. Coyotes are? Yep. And you know why? Because they have to be. There, there are more coyotes today than the day the Declaration of Independence was signed. We've wiped out their natural predators. They're apex predators, cougars, bears, and all that. We wiped those out. So they're opportunists. They're overwhelming North America. And here's the other issue is when you go out and hunt them, you only kill the dumb ones. So we have artificially um, led to a, a modern North American coyote that is, is in, in disturbingly opportunistic and brilliant. They can solve problems. They, they learn lessons. Like I say, they, they learn once that a German shepherd isn't dinner. And then they retain that lesson throughout their life. They learn what time the cars are on the road. They learn what day garbage day is. Um, they know that Arcadia picks up, you know, compost on Wednesdays or whatever, and that Monrovia does it um, on Thursdays. They, they, you can't underestimate them. And so if you want to surrender your backyard, you know, go ahead. But if you still want to let your yappers go out and play in the backyard – do them a favor and do yourself a favor. Put a muzzle on them because that their bark, they've learned that that bark equals an easily deliverable meal uh, back to the den. And if you know if you don't want to find that, and, and also by the one morning up at uh, Hollywood Reservoir Park, which is an unofficial dog park, um, remember what's that mountain lion that lives up by the Hollywood sign? P thirty nine or whatever. And P something. P, yeah. I, it might be like P14 or whatever. Anyway, um, so that thing, people in that neighborhood, they don't see coyote attacks. And I found out why one morning. I took my dogs up there like at 6 a.m. The sprinklers were still going. And at the edge of the park, there was the front half of a coyote. A cougar had eaten this coyote all the way up to the ribs. And it was sitting there on its side with its eyes open. And it looked like it was resting. P22. P22. Double deuce. He's my favorite. Um, always bet on double deuce. So he left behind, he and or she, whatever it is, I think, I think it was a she, uh, she left behind a half-eaten coyote. And that, that's normal. That's what the mountains around here normally looked like up until, say, whatever, 150 years ago uh, or 100 years ago. Um, and so they don't have coyote attacks uh, in Coenga Pass um, and in that neighborhood around Hollywood Reservoir because there's a, uh, there's a cleaner. But uh, in, in other places, where and mountain lions are coming back. But if you want to do yourself a favor, get a muzzle for your dog before you put it out. Because you're going to hear yip, 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 yip. And you're going to say, all's well, Sparky's out there just running around. And then it's going to go silent. And you're going to wonder, what in the heck happened to my, to my dog? And your, your dog was taken. He was chewed up, eaten by a coyote. It went back into a den and it vomited it back up for its pups. It's not a... Not a nice ending. Not pretty. But uh, anyway, give your dog a chance. Get a muzzle. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Uh, immigrant protests and all this stuff coming up uh, here at the top of the hour at 11. We're going to talk with Steve Gregory about the raids that didn't happen and the protests that did. Uh, and also uh, coming up here in a minute, man kills wife with a machete, Panorama City. We'll get to that. More stuff on the Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. Shannon, 
KFI AM six forty more simulating talk. Brian Seed's filling in for Gary and Shannon, and I didn't have time to. Does anyone remember the story? the The guy who was the Warner Media CEO, Kevin Sujihara, wasn't he Me Tooed? Didn't they find a record of texts or something? But uh, anyway, we have a new neighbor here in Burbank. Is what I'm getting to. Um, Warner Media announcing uh, Warner Brothers' first female CEO in a what they're saying is a surprise pick. So uh, a new neighbor here uh, down the street, just uh, just across from uh, Doghouse, Doghouse on Olive. Um, the CEO of the parent company, Warner Media, well, Warner Media has found his replacement for the ousted Warner Brothers chief, Kevin Sujihara, tapping BBC executive and Sarnoff for the role. She'll be based in L.A. and begin the job later this summer. So Warner Brothers, Warner Media with a female CEO uh, and Sarnoff, long, long time uh, BBC. First time it's been run by a woman in 96 years. So wait, ninety? You mean in the history of it, or yeah. you mean ninety six years ago there was a woman? Well, that's how long they've been open. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, I guess they don't precede motion pictures, do they? Um, so anyway, she, welcome to the neighborhood. Try doghouse. Try the uh, and and you know what they do? You know you can get protein style at In and Out, right? With the burger on the lettuce. Yeah. You can do it at doghouse. On any of their sausages or hot dogs, they'll put it on a romaine. Like a like a it's a little protein boat, so th- you can ask for that a at hot dog, dog wrap. Yeah, okay, and it's great. Um, I'm and you know what? I bet she's the number one fan. Yes, she's British, and but I, I bet she's had a hot a dog, and she'll uh, she'll do it anyway. Welcome to the neighborhood. You should probably come on uh, Super Hyper Local Sundays, and we'll uh, get to the bottom of that. Um, a story uh, out of Fresno. And I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. Is it is it my place to pass judgment on people's judgment? I I don't know. But Amy King, you're a mother. I'm a daddy. I, I'm a fur mom. Okay, so, but at one point you were eighteen. I where yes, I, where, I was eighteen at one. Where I grew up in Port Angeles, Washington, we had daycare in the high school. We had we had seventeen year olds married to eighteen married to seniors. We had juniors marrying seniors. We we had kids with kids. In my high school. It's just that kind of a place. Um, okay, so up in Fresno, you have a 10-month-old girl in critical condition after she was shot in the head early Sunday morning. That, by the way, that doesn't mean 7 a.m. It means that the baby's mother, who is now 18, took her baby out partying with her to to um, 1.30 a.m. Sunday morning. And so baby Faith Percy underwent surgery to remove bullet fragments in her head. Uh, the uh, suspect, Marco Antonio uh, Ecartia, was arrested on suspicion of three counts of attempted murder. Uh, the 18-year-old, 18-year-old mother had gone into a home with the baby early Sunday morning at, at a house party where she encountered uh, this guy and resisted his advances. The mother and male friend left the home and drove away when he began shooting. He went to the driver's side. Um, the uh, Fresno PD said at some point when he got close, he pulled out a handgun and fired three rounds into the driver's side window. One of those rounds struck baby Faith on the side of the head. And I mean, you know, I think I'm kind of the lazy takeaway is, oh, guns are so bad. Why can, what can we do about guns? I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I don't have any problem saying that an 18-year-old mother, you know, and you know what, a 29-year-old mother. Why, are, why is the baby with you at 1.30 a.m. on a Sunday? I mean, Saturday Saturday night, Sunday morning. No babysitter. Then don't go. 
You don't go. You don't say, ah, yeah, I had to drag her along to the party because I couldn't find a sitter. You stay that home. That would be common sense. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, send your emails to uh, programming. But that, I'm, I'm sorry. That was my, my first reaction is, why, are, why is the kid even in that position? Um, why do you drag a kid out uh, to a out late with you? Just and like whenever I whenever I, we, for some reason on weekends that's when the wrong way drivers are out. They they don't seem to happen during the week, but on weekends the wrong way drivers, the ones who get on on the eastbound on, on ramps, which turn out to be a hard uh, me. They think it's a westbound on ramp. It's actually an eastbound off ramp. And and there was like a van full of kids at two a.m. Uh, about a year ago, and, and I just I, I'm I'm at a bit of a loss uh, on that one. So are we calling this? Is this is that the end? Is that the final score? USA women two, España Spanish women uno. U.S. women advance, and I think if France wins, they play France. But uh, anyway, USA women winning two to one. Uh, just now. Game is over. Uh, we'll uh, take a break. We come back. Steve Gregory will talk to us uh, about the ice raids that did not happen, but the protests that did happen. Uh, that more coming up. Our number two of the Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. Don't you worry, baby. No sis trying to change it. I must drop these matches. Never had control. I'm ready to let go. No. Good Valuable targeted demographic. KFI AM six forty more stimulating talk. Gary and Shannon show hour number two. Brian Sue's filling in for Gary and Shannon, and I my designated package opener is in here today. But someone sent me a nice uh, a nice decorated U.S. Uh, U.S. flag flower pot with bubble wrap. So uh, is that? Well, the uh, ice raids were uh, frankly they were leaked to the Washington Post that raids would take place across the country, and then the Washington Post. Naming names, saying New York, Los Angeles, uh, Dallas, Chicago, and then kind of a no-brainer because that's where, especially in Los Angeles, that's where you have the densest population of illegal aliens. Uh, with uh, L.A. County being ten percent uh, here on a illegal status, so they'd be illegal aliens. And the raids were targeting uh, people who had been adjudicated that they had either been they had shown up for their court case. And were denied asylum and had a deportation order or did not show up for the court case and uh, received a default deportation order. So, in other words, um, people who the United States, in fact, had every absolute legal right to order deported. Um, The president then on Saturday announced that the raids were over, acknowledging that they were going to happen, but that he was calling them off because the word is, that Nancy Pelosi called him and said, uh, let's come to a deal and uh, and hold it off for two weeks. I don't know what the deal is. There's not there's not really a middle ground. I mean, you try that. Go to L.A. County Superior Court and try, you know, try arguing that. Well, you know, Your Honor, I agree you have the right to issue a, a bench warrant for me, but uh, let's let's hug this out. I mean, it doesn't quite work. But uh, don't worry, though, there was already a protest scheduled for downtown L.A., and uh, it went off. Protesters held signs that said, stop separating families, directing their anger toward President. Don't come here as families. 
It's and by the way, the law the, the, by which children must be separated from their parents it, it didn't hit on January twentieth, two thousand sixteen. It's been the law for a while. Uh, Steve Gregory, our uh, our resident immersive immigration expert, joins us. Uh, the so the 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 sword of Damocles, as Bernie Sanders, I believe, said last night that this these deportation raids are a sword of Damocles. Uh, so how high is it dangling? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Nice word, but a uh, nice word, by the way. Um, I I have to tell you that this is something that. Um, uh, you know, you were talking about the week or the leak to the Washington Post initially. Um, you know, there are enforcement operations that are ongoing constantly. I think I don't think people realize that Immigration Customs Enforcement ICE uh, has removal operations on a weekly basis. This is something that goes on constantly. It just happened to be that um, it was being ramped up, and and I got to be honest with you, I know of another operation that's coming up in a couple weeks, and something has been planned now for at least uh, two months. Remember the last There's time no- when the when the Oakland mayor uh, like posted it on Facebook and, and she announced beforehand uh, right. about three years ago, two or three years ago. So what is it? Yeah. Spill the beans, Gregory. Well, <laughs> I can't do that uh, because I may very well be going along on that operation. Oh. So I can tell you that this is something that, again, and I hate to do this because these are my colleagues I'm talking about, but this is is a very um, twisted way of reporting this. I, uh, I'm watching this. It's very similar to what I observed at the border back in January when, you know, when, law, when tear gas was being shot because people were rushing the fence. And, I, I mean, if I had not witnessed it with my own eyes, I would have thought it was a lie. But some of this stuff is not being reported quite, uh, quite the right way. Th- thoroughly. Um, th- I'll be generous and say thoroughly. There was First the con- of all, lacking context. And, and you would know this of, of anybody, but these aren't raids. Um, these are enforcement operations, of, as you mentioned, to people that already have been served with uh, deportation or removal orders. These are not raids. Um, this is not a, uh, you know, it's just an indiscriminate sort of uh, blanket just knocking down doors, and that's not the way it happens. It's the same thing when people are talking about agents ripping and at the word, ripping children from the arms of their parents. No such thing happens. First of all, agents don't touch the children. It's, you know, people from housing, urban, uh, excuse me, from the uh, Health and Human Services Agency. They're the people that take care of the families. And it's not the agents. So, a, first of all, this is the thing that, in talking to one of my ICE agents, uh, it sources over the weekend, um, this person was very, you know, kind of crucial to me in making sure that I had the latest information. And the first thing that that person said was, you know, we hate the word raids. These are not raids. These are enforcement operations that are pre-planned, and these are operations that are going on because we have a warrant from a judge, and that this is not, you know. So, And I had to really kind of step back for a moment because I was starting to use the word raids until it was clarified to me. So um, there's a lot of misinformation, and these operations are ongoing. That's what Immigration Customs Enforcement does on a daily basis. This is their job. And then HSI, or Homeland Security Investigations, which is an arm of that, they're the ones that investigate internally and do all of the, the human trafficking and the drug trafficking. And they're investigating it, and the ICE agents are the ones that affect the arrests. So these, this is what the agency is supposed to do. This is what their charge is. And so this is what's so frustrating to the agents because it's a lot of vilification going on. 
And and these <clears throat> um, the, the sort of the deception of using that word raid is that. Uh, and I don't know if that's what Nancy Pelosi read or whatever, but these kind of enforcement operations are, are what they call soft knock. They're they're not going to use a battering ram and no. say federal government search warrant. <clears throat> they go knocky, knocky, knock, knock. And they say federal government, we have an order for removal. Um, right. And that that's it's it's not a warrant. I mean, as you said, it's it's an order. It's a done. It's a done deal. And so Sheila Kuehl and uh, the state and, and L.A., city of L.A., LAPD, they they they're putting up these know your rights, um, mm-hmm. and and these orders they're not even issued unless they're actually signed by a judge, right? So that's not even an, you can't sit there and say it's not signed by a judge. I'm not following that. Exactly, it's not a it's not a photo radar ticket. Yeah, <laughs> a, you know this is a federal warrant, and this this usually typically or this typically means someone didn't show up for their court mandated appearance. Then they after they promised to do so, and see this is another this is a whole different issue too. This is how most of these individuals end up integrating into the country illegally is because they never show up for court and because they know the U.S. government lacks the resources for interior enforcement, then this is typically the, this is the end game, Brian. This is the end game. They know the system. They know how poorly staffed the agencies are. They know that they don't have the resources to do this. So a lot of these individuals have failed to show up for their court uh, hearings or their asylum hearings did not go in their favor. Whatever the case is, their time is up. Frankly, their time is up. And so now they and they were all told this from, from the moment they were processed. They told they were told this was the system and this is the timeline and the chain of events. If this happens, this is going to happen. If that happens, that's going to happen. And this is what, exactly what has happened. That now has come to the point where they were are going to have to go back to their country of origin. And so this is not a surprise. This is the thing that, that is frustrating a lot of people, is this is not a surprise, in, in, as you mentioned. This is not a battering ram to the doors. This is something like, okay, folks, you tried. You tried asylum. It didn't work. You were told to come to court. You didn't show up. Okay, you're going to have to go back. Um, yeah, because in the Know Your Rights guides that Sheila Kuehl has out and, and Garcetti and others, um, it, it says you don't have to open the door uh, until they show you the warrant. Uh, so you can ask to show me the warrant, and that means slide it under the door. And it says if it's not signed, you don't have to open up. But, I mean, like I was just asking, and, and you confirmed, they're not issued unless they're signed. And so so are you hearing – because I know what the next step is here in L.A. It's setting up sanctuaries. There's going to be churches and buildings and the whole thing. Uh, and they're going to set up the the federal ICE agents into this uh, untenable, uh, you know, situation where they they have to be the bad guys, and they they you know we we've barred them from courthouses, so they have to go to your house, and if if you leave the house and you go to a church or something, so they're going to set up the the federal guys uh, to looking like just absolute stormtroopers. So have you heard right. anything about that? Yeah. Well, here's the thing, and they've all told me that. Yes, in some in some cases, in some jurisdictions, agents are not allowed to make arrests in courthouses or on courthouse property. But if you might recall the case a few years ago, Elvira Ariano, she was the woman who had holed up in the church in Chicago for a year. Yeah. And then she came out to Los Angeles. She thought it would be a good idea to become a face and voice of the movement and, and be an activist. Well, they brought her, secretly brought her out to Los Angeles so she could make an appearance. Well, I had gotten 
tip that she was going to be arrested on a Sunday morning after church services. And I asked, you know, naively asked, (laughs) well, why aren't you arresting her in the church? If you know where she's at, why aren't you going to go get her? And he laughed at me and he says, can you imagine the outrage and the public humility that we will go through if we got, if we have agents going into a church to arrest an illegal immigrant? And I said, well, I guess that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it at the time. They said, no, we're going to wait until she gets into the car and she drives down the street away from the church. And then we're going to detain her. And she had and a deportation order. She she very much had a deportation yeah. order because she had stolen the identity of an, an employee at Chicago's O'Hare that's Airport. That's right. So yeah, her, been, her choice yeah. to become a really high-profile illegal alien sure paid off. But, <laughs> but if you remember, she also had a son. Yeah. And so there was huge outrage over the fact that she had been deported. But her son, who was born in the United States, young son at the time, had to stay here with relatives. And there was a picture of a notorious, not notorious, but a very well-famous picture of her reaching through the fence to, to touch her son's hand. And so that became the narrative that, you know, at that time they were talking about splitting up families. So that, that splitting up families narrative has been around for a long time. And you might also recall, Brian, that I was in one of those detention facilities in 2014 in Dallas, Arizona. I, I bailed you out, though. Right. You, fortunately, you, you did a GoFundMe. But um, I was with John McCain and Governor Jan Brewer of Arizona at the time, and I went through the tour with them. And, I, and you know, you talk about this separation of families and, and what happens and, and all the procedures and stuff. This has been going on for years, and this is not – all this stuff that you're talking about and we are talking about is not new. There's not one part of this that's new. Yeah. This has been going on for decades, and I've been covering it for decades. So there's nothing new here. It's just that the only thing that's changed is the landscape of the media. All righty. Uh, we're running late. I don't want to cut you off unless, okay. unless it's last call. Am I right? Yeah! Um, Steve Gregory, thanks for uh, for joining us. Take care, buddy. All right. Uh, there he goes. Steve Gregory, our immigration expert, the immigration expert in all the Southland media. Back right after this, Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Seed filling in KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. You'll probably think that you are better now. Shannon, KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Ryan Sid filling in for Gary and Shannon. And there there was a um, there was a bit of a controversy. There was a stabbing. A man is dead in in Malibu or not Malibu. And uh, there's, I don't know if if, uh, if you gents in there frequent the bars of the PCH, but is does anyone know? Or, and also you can tweet me, at Dark Secret Place. Is Neptune's net... Is it a biker bar or not a biker bar? We couldn't figure this out because we don't. We want to. We want to know is, is someone smearing the reputation of what's maybe a dive bar, but not a not a biker bar. He's stabbing outside a popular bar over in Malibu. An Ontario man is in custody at this hour, accused of murdering another guy in the parking lot of Neptune's Net, which is out there along Pacific Coast Highway. Police say it was late last night. Thirty-year-old Daniel Maldonado stabbed the twenty-three-year-old victim several times after the two had gotten into an argument. The victim died right there at the scene from a neck wound. The suspect's bail now has been set at $500,000. Okay, couple things. Isn't Neptune known for having his triton, having the three-headed spear? So why would you call it Neptune's net? I don't, does Neptune have a net? And I know after, after all that, that's my takeaway. 
Um, but uh, when it says Malibu, as, as I'm looking at it here on the Google Maps, Neptune's net is closer to Point Magoo State Park. It's, it's, it's literally, literally slightly closer to what you would call Oxnard, uh, uh, Port Wainimi. So anyway, they said Malibu. But uh, I can't get a, uh, I can't get a feel for the. It's it's four and a half stars on Google Maps, only two dollar signs, which means it's it's reasonable. Looks nice. Looked at it on uh, on Yelp. Looks nice. Reviews four point four. So there you go. Um, someone from four weeks ago said, "I finally got the chance to visit the iconic Neptune's Net on Route One." Uh, or PCH, and it did not disappoint. I enjoyed the ambiance and the people watching the most more than the actual food. Uh, she must not have been there for the murder. Steve uh, did a five-star. I put five stars, but I was on the fence to put four, mainly because it's a lot of deep-fried food. Well, then get away from the ocean there, Mr. Snootface. Um, Lucas, five stars. Everything was delicious. The crab meat was the lesser enjoyed item on the menu. Anyway, I'm, I, I heard it described as a biker bar. And, uh, and a, a dive bar. And it seemed like kind of a... Because you can't afford to run a crap house on, on the PCH. Because that was... My my initial thought was, oh, well, was it next to Nobu? But uh, no. So anyway, Neptune's net. Uh, maybe I'll drop in sometime. But um, sorry about the unfortunate stabbing there. Uh, and some uh, stuff we'll get to uh, locally. Murder in Panorama City. Uh, local video. Uh, showing the perpetrator, the apparent perpetrator, the husband, uh, and uh, more on Santa Anita. It's the end of the season, and I'm I'm inclined to kind of lay off because, uh, as as you've been hearing on KFI, uh, the the count of thirty dead horses is is not uh, unusual. It's not high. It's it's not low. Other tracks in the country are 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 worse if you measure it by that. So, uh, but but nevertheless, it's uh, it's news. We're going to be joined a little later on. Uh, Alex Stone, uh, a woman at Dodger Stadium, uh, a, a young, not not a young girl, but a sort of a young lady, uh, hit in the head by Cody Bellinger. When I saw that headline, I was outraged. Why don't they cut him? And then I saw that it was actually a line drive. So there's that. We'll be back uh, right after this. Gary and Shannon show. Brian suits filling in. KFI AM six forty. More stimulating talk. That's what I'm going. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is Gary and Shannon, Brian Suits filling in. Uh, today, Tuesday and Wednesday, they're on the vacation, and it's frankly none of my business. Um, you know, here's a 2019 problem for you, and this is going to be a big problem in the L.A. area. Well, Actually, you know what? I bet it's not. Um, but in the South, if your school, elementary K through high school, if it's named after Robert E. Lee, the challenge is finding another Lee to rename it after <clears throat> so that you can avoid costly sign changes. So that is really, really a thing. So I would just heads up to Lee Majors. If you're uh, if, if just clear your calendar for the next couple of years, Bionic Man. So anyway, I don't know another prominent. Um, there is there. There would be. And I think this is a simple one. Uh, this is a really simple one. You rename the school. From Robert E. Lee, the uh, the leader of the Confederate States uh, Army, uh, 
who was offered command of the Union Army, for the record, he turned it down because he was more loyal to Virginia than he was to uh, to uh, the country. And the joke was on him because we took his estate and buried our dead. That's now Arlington National Cemetery. <clears throat> what you do is you re- rename it after his father. Listen close, folks. This is a no-brainer. You name it after his father, Revolutionary War legend Light Horse Harry Lee. Robert E. Lee's dad was a legendary cavalry commander in the American Revolution. So there, he's on the right side, the whole deal. Still on slaves, but hey, you know, come on. It's in the context. But if you're looking for a no-brainer, that's what you do. You change it to his dad's name. Uh, Not an issue around here, though. I don't think there's a lot of Robert E. Lee elementary schools uh, in the Southland, or for that matter, any... Uh, named after Confederate uh, generals. Johnny Cochran Middle School is uh, down there uh, by the tent, just north of the tent. Johnny Cochran has a middle school named after him. And there's another interesting trivia bit about what used to be there, but I'm not going to bother you with it right now. Uh, Representative Elon Omar made a big splash. uh, I think the Time magazine or Atlantic, they had all the new female uh, minority or religious minority a uh, member of the Congress who came into uh, the Congress last year, and she's the first uh, – she's a Somali immigrant. She's not the first Muslim member of commerce, but uh, the first immigrant Muslim member of commerce reflecting a very large uh, Somali community around Minneapolis and all this. And she's, she's been very vocal about, uh, about uh, human rights and asylum for uh, uh, Illegal immigrants and asylum seekers, et cetera, the whole thing. She's she's had a ver- she's been given a very very high profile uh, by the media and, and and all this. Well, here's what's uh, what's slowly been coming out over the weekend, and just to el- eliminate confusion as much as possible, I'll put it like this: um, She had husband A, and then she had husband B. Okay, here here's what's coming out about her: um, that in 2002. She married husband A in what they call a faith ceremony, but they weren't legally married. In 2008, uh, Congresswoman Omar and husband A decided to end our relationship in our faith tradition. Okay, So there's no need for a legal divorce decree or anything. Um, Months later, uh, in 2009, Omar legally married husband B. Husband B is a ethnic Somali and a British citizen. So he came to the United States um, in uh, calendar year late 2008 and uh, 2009. Uh, and so here's a deal. Quick side note. If you, an American citizen, marry someone who's green carded, so you marry someone, they get a green card, they come here. Three years after you're married, um, ICE considers it, uh, hey, it's a done deal, it's a marriage. And your spouse gets citizenship at that point. Right. Okay. So that's important that I, I mentioned that. So anyway, husband B and Congresswoman Omar are legally married. Three years later, they get religious. Pardon me. Um, I, I'm sorry. Uh, sh- they get uh, religiously divorced, but they're still legally married. So meanwhile, and then by the way, uh, he's uh, she, he's around her. Then he's not. People who worked. Uh, with her on Keith Ellison's campaign, said they rarely saw husband B, but that they knew that she was cohabitating with husband A still, even though she was divorced, she was married to someone else. So then uh, in her bio, she says that in 2011, she and husband A reconciled. 
And so in 2017, legally, she was divorced from husband B, who all, all this time she'd got back together with her first husband, but not legally because they were married. Uh, she was married to husband B. 2017, she did ob- obtain that legal divorce from husband B. And she claimed for a long time that he couldn't be served properly. They didn't know where he was. Well, where was he? He was living with her sister in Nairobi. So they figure that out. Um, so that in 2018, last year, Congresswoman Omar and husband A are now actually legally married. So she is now legally married to husband A, who is the father of her two kids, two or three kids. Um, and that's that. So they became legally married in 2018. Here's another problem. In 2015 and 16, she filed married joint, uh, filing jointly with husband A. But they were not legally married. And that's a gigantic federal no-no. To tell the IRS that you're a married couple and you're not a legally married couple. Now, if in, their defense is going to be, well, we were religiously married. You need to recognize that and the whole thing. This has already been adjudicated. The IRS has said, now that's like bigamy. If it is not a legally recognized marriage in your state, then the federal government doesn't recognize it. So sorry about that. So anyway, the, um, this is all coming uh, together as they're, as finally media in Minneapolis are finally checking her background, including traffic tickets. Because how did they find out that, that at, at a point when she was getting her undergraduate degree at North Dakota State with her family, she was in a, uh, at an address that husband A was also at. And husband B also indicated was his address. How do we know that? Because of all the traffic tickets that they got. They got this raft of traffic tickets. Apparently nobody in the family can drive. And all of the legal addresses, court addresses, were the same. So she was cohabitating with with religious husband A, legal husband B, uh, all in the same address. So this is, uh, from from her perspective, they're not commenting on it. They're looking at the documents. Um, if, if someone ever wanted to hand red meat... To on on Trump's desk. Remember, you know Trump is the guy who runs the agency that enforces this stuff, not Congress. So if uh, if this is what it appears to be, then you could probably look at uh, <clears throat> this being looked into. And even if it, it, it uh, I mean, it, even if she wasn't politically deeply opposed to Trump and and a huge vocal critic with a platform, the agency, the IRS, has to look at that. I mean, I don't get if I if I filed as a married couple when i was single yeah they'd be knocking on my door so anyway so that's what's going on uh behind the scenes with that that is a story that may be uh bigger and bigger iran's reaction we'll get to that here in uh, just just a second uh and uh, more stuff we'll give you an update on the memorials for, for deputy solano uh will it uh, affect your traffic uh, that and more. It is Gary and Shannon. Brian Suits in here for them Monday, and Tuesday, Wednesday. They're on the vacay. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. Gary and Shannon. Brian Suits filling in uh, stories that we're tracking all day long. New hard hitting. Well, actually, n- new, new sanctions, kind of primarily symbolic being signed by the president, but that's sort of the point was uh, there's already very hard sanctions on Iran, and there's more coming. We'll talk with Lana Zak, AB News correspondent at 105, about that. And uh, the end of the racing season at Santa Anita, and the death toll is 30, and it turns out to be less than an average year. So uh, for me, the story is, well, where's all the context gone about that? <clears throat> and 
I don't know, Amy King, did you ever hear that jockey who addressed the protesting ladies at the California Horse Racing Board meeting? I did not hear Okay. This is this was the best part of the entire controversy for the past six months. So they, they have an open meeting, and there's, there's a bunch of uh, you know, anti-horse racing people uh, going to the open mic and, and the whole thing. They happen, coincidentally, I'm sure, they happen to be uh, a bunch of women. And then this actual jockey, and I forgot his name. Sorry, forgot his name. He gets up for his open mic time about uh, what's wrong with the whole thing, and here's him. Because all I see here is a bunch of single women. Um, okay, no, no. Bunch of single women criticizing what we do here. And then you go back no, and sit down. Let, let's, let's. You got okay, it. Co- co- come on. It's all he saw was a bunch of single women. And not in a good way. Just single women just criticizing there yeah and they shut him off. I, I wouldn't have been very happy at that meeting <laughs> okay i'll play it again i see you nodding because all i see here is a bunch of single women um okay, no, no. bunch of single women criticizing what we do here and then you go back no, and sit no, down no. Let, let's let's you got okay, it co- co- the best part is that the one woman yelling they're they're so shocked in 2019 oh my gosh Let, let's let's you got okay, it. Cu- cu- yeah, then you all go home and you feed your cats. Because you all have nine cats, you single women. Well, I wish he would have, you know, kind of explained that a little bit more. Like, why? You sit there with your gallon of haagen on Tinder, getting ice cream all over the screen, left swiping, and you fall asleep and the cats finish the ice cream, you single women. Oh, is women. that what he was going to say? Yeah. Nice, Brian. Absolutely. And because then you're you're probably right, but... Criticizing me for being a jockey. All I see here is a bunch of single women. <laughs> Um, I thought he was going to give out his Tinder address you know, at that point. <clears throat> so uh, anyway, um, so I, we've been following this case. Gary and Shannon have and uh, anyone who likes true crime. And I want to shine the Josh Mankiewicz-shaped light into the night sky. Uh, the Jennifer Dulos disappearance, air, air fingers, um, last seen in Connecticut on May 24th. Uh, she's the woman who was in the midst of a contentious two-year divorce and custody battle. Her husband, Fotis Dulos, wealthy guy. Um, and, with the uh, girlfriend. With the girlfriend, seen on video either 30 times or three times, dropping bags off. And the bags, of course, had uh, the the DNA of uh, the, the missing uh, wife. But that, uh, that you, you can't really push that in court because you can say, well, anything in that house would have her DNA or whatever. Well, his his lawyer now is is going apparently podcasts Gary and Shannon show because they're they're beginning to push the Gone Girl scenario on this. One month after her disappearance, the estranged husband of the missing Connecticut mother of five is claiming his wife might have staged her own disappearance, like in the book and film Gone Girl. I've never seen it. I haven't read it, but uh, oh, it's a good book. I know someone good who has. Good movie. So uh, let's uh, bring her on board. So Amy King, okay. bo- you book and movie, you've uh, done them both? Yeah. Okay, so here's what happens. Oh, my God, it's so good. So at the beginning of the movie, all of a sudden this woman is, she's just disappeared, disappeared, gone. And so then they start and they do all these searches. And then some clues start to come forward and police start to ask questions and the husband doesn't really have good answers, and then he becomes the prime suspect. And then they find DNA evidence. They find, like, a crime scene that had been cleaned up. You know, it was very well cleaned, but it was obviously an effort had been made to clean something up. 
and it goes on and on, and eventually she does resurface. You mean and exonerates her husband? Yeah, but it just shows that there it's a really screwed up relationship. There's there's a couple of movies that sort of like there's a, the one of the last movies Peter Berg acted and didn't direct in. I forgot what that was called, but it was a total conspiracy missing woman. He winds in, winds up in prison and gets a letter from her at the end. Um, uh, body I that heat. in scandal. Body heat. William oh, Hurt. Yeah, oh, remember that? Heat. No. <clears throat> Body heat. I was too young to see that. My Kath- mom wouldn't Kathleen know. Turner. Um, so that's the punchline in that one too. Uh, the burnt body they found was not Kathleen Turner. Um, okay, but the the attorney for the husband in back to real life, yeah. real time, <laughs> says he has a copy of a very dark five hundred page novel written by Jennifer Dulos. Uh huh. Well, well, okay. Now you're talking something. Now you're talking evidence. Was she was she a no? Was she a writer? I mean. Or- Besides that, I mean, that's really coincidental that she goes missing and leaves behind her manuscript of a wife who goes would, missing and frames her husband. I would think if you went to all that effort, you wouldn't leave the manuscript behind. And not only that, but they found they found a director's cut Blu-ray of Eddie and the Cruisers. Remember that at the very end, it skips forward twenty years, and he looks like Jim Morrison. He's actually still alive. Oh. It's, that. I missed that one too. Spart- Val Kilmer and Spartan, <laughs> same. Oh no, he wasn't supposed to be dead. Anyway, it's it's a, it's an old plot device. The old uh, reveal at the end of the guy walking away. So uh, we'll we'll see. It sounds to me like there's going to be a preponderance of circumstantial evidence and physical evidence. And and there people have been convicted without an intact body. DNA is is a body. But right it's- now they're just charged with hindering prosecution. And for that, but he's not on bail, right? I think they both are. Yeah, because he's he's rich. I think they yanked his passport uh, and the whole thing. So so good luck. But the reason, sort of, the rational thing to me is that okay, she's a native-born American. She's born and raised here. How does she propose to uh, completely uh, change her ID and exist in the world? Or, or 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 what was the plan? Spirit the five kids to Liechtenstein or something? That's why it doesn't. Th- that doesn't add up to me. I think it's it's Brian's razor. It's the most obvious uh, occurrence is the most likely occurrence. You've renamed it? Yeah. <clears throat> From Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor <laughs> is the thing with the least amount of countermanding evidence. My oh. my thing is the thing that you give the most Fs about, and it has the most no Ss. Okay. So this is like, yeah, well, no, mm. Um, and anyway, uh, back right after this, running late, uh, Gary and Shannon show, Brian Suit filling in, KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. You got some change inside your pocket, but it doesn't change a thing. I'm a stranger to Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. The, uh, the box office, we'll talk to Jason, Jason Nathanson at 1220 about how dominant was Toy Story 4, and it... It dominated, but we have breaking Twitter news, so that means it's time for What's Happening. Time for What's Happening. Uh, the president this morning doing his signature signature, you could say. he It's where he takes the Sharpie, and he does the giant exaggerated signatures, and then he holds up the uh, the declaration so you can see the giant signatures. Probably one of the most memed things there is out there. But uh, It's the greatest signature of all time. It, it's, it's bigly. 
Bigly. The uh, greatest signature that's ever been done in the U.S. Bigly font. Well, the, the president uh, signed an executive order earlier today to slap hard-hitting sanctions on Iran. Uh, that would also target the country's supreme leader, the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, uh, Khamenei I mean, uh, for being the architect of the country's belligerent behavior. And he's, he's right. Uh, though he said Khamenei. And, and most Americans don't understand that Khamenei is currently the guy who took over for Khamenei. Uh, similarly spelled until you get to the first A. Um, and, then, and you'll notice there's not an O there. Uh, so anyway, the president said today's actions follows a series of aggressive behavior. So here's your update. Here's your right now update. On this, the president tweeted out earlier today, before he signed these sanctions, which were scheduled to go into effect. Okay, he didn't wake up at the wrong side of the bed and uh, order these up. They were scheduled to go into effect. Um, uh, He said, uh, China gets 91% of its oil from the Strait, Strait of Hormuz, Japan 62%, many other countries likewise. So why are we protecting the shipping lanes for other countries? Uh, for zero compensation, all these countries should be protecting their own ships on what has always been a dangerous journey. We don't even need to be there in that the U.S. has just become the largest producer of energy anywhere in the world. Probably regrets saying that because one of the greatest diplomatic trolls of all time is the Iranian foreign minister, Javad Zarif, who 40, about half an hour ago, uh, he tweeted... Uh, Donald Trump is 100% right that the U.S. military is no business in the Persian Gulf. Removal of its forces is fully in line with interests of the U.S. and the world, but it's now clear that the B-team is not con- uh, concerned with U.S. interests. They despise diplomacy and thirst for war. And he always does hashtag B-team. He calls Bolton and Pompeo and, and Bolton's leg humpers. He calls them the B-team. Um, and he, he and he, he's doing it to sort of get some peak with Trump because Zarif dealt with John Kerry and Obama. He called them the A-team. And why wouldn't he? <clears throat> because uh, they, they handed the Iranians this virtually inspectionless uh, nuclear deal. And what inspections there are, are the Iranians doing the inspections uh, or providing the numbers. So, of course, um, he uh, prefers that. So that's uh, J- Javad Zarif trolling Trump. And uh, some qu- quick background on him, by the way. Um, San Francisco State University alum. So his, his English is, is impeccable. His knowledge of American humor uh, and insults and sar- sarcasm is extremely good. Uh, and so you'll see him uh, chiming in almost every time Trump tweets something like that. Secretary Pompeo is in Saudi Arabia trying to build a Gulf uh, Arab coalition, which is already it's a self-licking lollipop. They're terrified of the Iranians, and they want the United States to do something about this. And then some... Some uh, breaking news uh, for E or pardon me for E three AWACS the 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 seven oh sevens with the spinning frisbee on top uh, the airborne warning and control aircraft four of those have been deployed to uh, the Al Dafra Air Base in the UAE so they have uh, from the time they take off um, they have about uh, um, eighteen minute flight to get to the edge of Iranian airspace but they don't need to do that. Because they can orbit over the UAE and they can see everything in the air for <clears throat> 2,000 miles. And so four of those have been deployed to the UAE. I don't know if it was a prior scheduled deployment or not. I, I sense it was not. We usually don't put them in the UAE. But it's a very expensive deployment to send four of those um, plus a ground crew, flight crew. Uh, and they have big flight crews. So it's a very expensive deployment and it is uh, just just happened. Apparently they're on their way. Um, they're not 
Um, they're not weaponized. They're not armed aircraft, but they're the airborne warning and control aircraft. They see everything in the air and much of it on the ground. And there's other reconnaissance systems because the Iranians responded to the new sanctions from today um, uh, by threatening more drone attacks. And so because we know, I mean, down to the meter where a, a, a tracked, a transpondered aircraft is in the air, um, it, it looks to me like we're trying to almost almost bait them or uh, or uh, just get confirmation that they're shooting down aircraft in international airspace. Um, a Southern California woman uh, is missing after she went back to school in Utah. Last seen a week ago when she returned to Utah for school, family members and friends are now frantically working to find the missing college student. Uh, Channel 4 NBC LA spoke to the family of 23-year-old Mackenzie Look. Uh, and the family member said that uh, the woman is from El Segundo. The family member said that other family members have gone to Salt Lake City and are in contact with investigators. Uh, they spent the last few days posting flyers in SLC. The young woman had been missing for a week, nearly a week. Investigators say she was last seen on Monday, last Monday, after she flew from LAX back to Salt Lake City. She texted her mother saying she had landed safely in Utah. Police say she then took a lift. They won't say where the lift dropped her off, but they say they don't believe she's at that location anymore. Uh, a friend says, for her not to reach out to me, Snapchat, Instagram, anything is very unlike her. Uh, friends say uh, that Mackenzie Look, who's a student at the University of Utah, missed midterms and called that action very out of character. Flyers have been passed out on Sunday on the campus. Our primary goal is to find Mackenzie to bring her home. Our family is grateful for the concern, prayers, and tireless effort. <clears throat> and that, by the way, that answers a question that we didn't have before. Because the obvious answer is, well, you look into that Lyft driver. But there was another story that Lyft and the driver had been absolutely fully uh, cooperative. And if they're indicating that, that the Lyft trip was complete. And, and like I say, to, re to repeat, Lyft is not saying where she was dropped off. But uh, I, I don't know. Maybe are we overthinking it if we say she went from the airport to her her apartment in Salt Lake City? I don't know. But anyway, young woman missing uh, there in Salt Lake City. Where things like this, by the way, are extremely rare. Very, very. very I've never felt more more safe in SLC. Uh, I lived there for ne nearly uh, two years. Two years, I say, because as a single non-Mormon, I couldn't leave fast enough. But for the time I was there, I uh, literally I never locked my front door. So, nice place. Not if you're single. All right, we'll come back in just a minute um, with uh, Jason Nathanson talking about Toy Story 4, uh, how dominant it was, and uh, why is Aladdin sticking around? The box office right after this and other stuff. It is Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. And I'm Fully more stimulating talk. The Gary and Shannon show they're on vacation. Brian sits here. And uh, we are still keeping our eye on reaction from Iran to the uh, sanctions that the president signed this morning. Also, locally, the uh, Deputy Solano funeral procession uh, and uh, the uh, any traffic alerts there. We'll get that for you. And uh, the end of the season for Santa Anita. <clears throat> and uh, what uh, what what the final toll is, what we're learning there. 
Well, the final toll of the box office, he said, as an awesome transition that will appeal to our core demo. Um, Toy Story 4 with a, a huge opening. And why wouldn't they have a huge opening? Jason Nathanson joins us for for ABC. Um, so, I, in, I don't know. Uh, you're, uh, I don't know if you're an economist, but in real dollars, is this the biggest Toy Story opening? It's, uh, yeah, it, well, not adjusted for inflation, but yeah, it's the biggest Toy Story of, of the franchise, of the four films. And $118 million, certainly, it, it, that's good, that's strong. You know, the film costs $200 million or so to make. Um, but people were expecting more. People were expecting much more. Uh, $140 million was probably the, on the low end of estimates for the weekend. Some thought it had a chance at beating the all-time animated opening uh, set by uh, The Incredibles 2 last year of $183 million. They got my money. Some thought it had a chance of getting to two hundred million, which which would be you know a very hard mark for an animated movie, but it didn't get quite there. Um, and people are kind of scratching their heads as to why it wasn't as big as as people thought it would be, because people seem to really like it. I don't know if you if you liked it, but uh, people seem to really like it. I I, I am going to go because I saw so much early. This is definitely one that I was not going to be part of the first wave. Because I've, I've seen Saving Private Ryan. You don't want to be in the first wave. I, I want to read the reviews. Uh, and, and I saw nothing but good. And what, What's it on Rotten Tomatoes right now? Uh, I, when I, I checked on Friday, it was 98%. I yeah. don't know what it is right now. But uh, I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's still at 98%. Uh, and uh, most reviewers, most people I know now, it's curious uh, I know some people who were posting on social media this weekend that they didn't like it. I didn't see many reasons why, just that they didn't like it. And I, I'm I'm curious as to why that would be, uh, which is fine. Everybody has an opinion. And you're, 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 of course, allowed not to like it. But most people I know uh, who, I, who I told it was fantastic, too, they went to see it this weekend and said, oh, I loved it. I was crying. I was crying the whole time. I, was, I laughed. I, you know, every, all the emotions. And I... I, I mean, I'm guilty of this. When Toy Story 3, I thought, wrapped it all up with a bow, and I can live in that universe where Toy Story 3 was the final film. So I was sure. kind of wondering, what can they add to that? But now I'm, I'm hearing people, including you, saying that, no, this is it's almost like it's a, a separate, complete ending, or not ending, but this is, a, 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 what, what would you call it, a, a th- yeah. end of thought? I mean, you know, life goes on, so there are always more stories to tell, and I think this is just you know the, what happens after Toy Story three. Which, sure, it could have been a, a beautiful ending for the franchise, but what Pixar usually is pretty good at is not going for just a money grab. They don't do sequels just for the sake of doing sequels. They they always say that they have to have a good idea, and for them, they felt they found the good idea for Toy Story four, and it took them nine years to do it. I mean, they didn't just rush in and and slap something together. And I, this is my second favorite Pixar film uh, of, of all the films that, uh, and I, th- I think I've seen most of them. Um, but behind Inside Out, which I really liked, I, I like the world that they created there. Inside Out I, was great. Yeah. I, 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 really, really, if people haven't seen Inside Out, if you don't have kids, you, you don't have to. Uh, Inside Out, funny, thoughtful, very, very touching. 
Well, and that's the thing. I come at this from, I don't have kids, and I just like quality movies. If you make something good, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go see it, and, and chances are that I'll like it. And Inside Out had that, uh, it, it, it just built a different world that, you, that you're like, oh, yeah, only computer animation can really kind of do this well. Yeah. Uh, and for, for Toy Story 4, I, it's weird, and it's strange, it's a little creepy at times, and it's it's really, really funny. And, and, and I liked all that. Uh, so I don't know exactly why uh, it wasn't as big as people were, were hoping it would be, um, but uh, people still seem to really like it. Um, and uh, pro tip, should I read the plot on Wikipedia now that it's out, or should I? Is there... No, am I going to be rewarded by by being completely ignorant about how what happens in the movie? I I always choose to be as ignorant as possible yeah. uh, in life and in the movies. So you know, I <laughs> I don't I don't want to know anything. Um, but especially going into a movie, I I want to know as little as possible. Going, in. I I love trailers, but I even hate seeing trailers before I go into the movie because it it just takes out for me. It takes out the element of surprise. I know people who who'd be fine if you told them the ending of a movie before they saw it. They, they, it doesn't matter to them. I don't want to know any... If I if I go to see a movie and I've seen the trailer, I am waiting for every second that I saw in the trailer to happen on screen. All right. So, I want to know nothing. It, it better be good because I, I was one of those people in the audience for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I Logically, you're saying, yeah, and Sean Connery, Pro- Professor Jones, stays behind in the cave and takes over the role of protecting the, the chalice. But that's not what they did. Sean Connery left the cave and the movie ended. It was a stupid ending. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I love that movie, though. I mean, I... That's, that's why, like I said, my, my, my analogy is that for Toy Story 3, I, do, I came out of the theater going, that's a trilogy. That sure. is, if Martians land and say, take us to your trilogy, you, well, you and... give them Toy Story. We're seeing a lot of that on television these days with all the great TV coming out and a lot of series that seem like they should be one and done. But with TV, uh, there's a lot more business involved. And, and if you have a hit, you're definitely going to want to do more. So a series like Russian Dolls on uh, Netflix, which was fantastic, uh, should have ended at the end. It, that should be it. But Netflix is going to do another season. Big Little Lies, everybody liked the first season of and probably should have been the end of it. And now they're giving us a second yeah. season. So, Fleabag. Fleabag. Season Fleabag. three Fleabag. Oh, um, well, season two, season two of Fleabag was fantastic, phenomenal. though. Uh, yeah. if, if I'm late, then the, new, the interim news director is going to yell at me, so i got to go. Okay. Uh, all right, Jason Nathanson uh, for ABC News. Thanks for joining us back in just a minute. OJ wants you to know what a great weekend he had, what a terrible weekend you had. That and Swamp Watch coming up. It is Gary and Shannon, Brian Suits filling in KFI, AM 640, more stimulating talk. Okay, if I am 640 more stimulating talk, it is Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in. Now, I don't want OJ to uh, to impose on Swamp Watch. So before we kick off Swamp Watch, oh, you know what you learn on OJ's Twitter feed is that, and and I may be the only person to come to this conclusion, but he's a bit of a narcissist. That's what I'm getting. 17 hours ago, first of all, he wished you all, he hopes you all had a good weekend. That, that's that's from uh, 17 hours ago. Hey, Twitter world, it's me, yours truly. You know, after last week, I got a lot of comments from football fans uh, telling me, Jews, come on, fantasy, you got to draft a running back first. 
And normally I would go. And he calls himself Juice. I mean, I know he's, he's quoting people on Twitter, but he does call himself that. And that wasn't good enough. Uh, he hoped you had a good weekend. Then yesterday, about 15 hours ago, he tweeted out a highlight of himself in the 1969 Rose Bowl. And he said, as Bob Hope would say, thanks for the memories. And by the way, I'd like to point out it's Keith Jackson. On their 20, they're ahead, doing, 3 to nothing. Doing the play-by-play. Soggy pitching to Simpson. 25, 30. Look out. He runs 109 fours. Look at him cutting slice. They won't get him. He's being convoyed in. 80 yards. Oh, come on. How obvious was that? Of course, uh, his cutting style of running was legendary. But I'm pumped. Um, all right, well, uh, unleash the Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Well, the top story, obviously, was uh, is the president signing new sanctions uh, aimed specifically at the supreme leader, uh, Ali Khamenei of Iran. And uh, yes, I know there's a guy called President Rouhani, but if you uh, see the power structure, it doesn't really go through him. And uh, some say that it's symbolic, but it was just it was a, a, a photo op showing the president signing more sanctions against Iran because... On Friday, he was dealing with people calling him a chicken for backing off on striking Iran and the whole thing. So that's that's the purpose of it. And by the way, the sanctions were scheduled to go in anyway. Meanwhile, uh, and, and the president tweeted out sort of a, a two-part tweet about the United States guaranteeing security in the Persian Gulf, yet we don't charge for it. We don't. No one pays his compensation. The majority of China's oil come, comes out of there. And so uh, we don't even need to be there. And it was responded to by the Iranian foreign minister who said, yeah, you're right. You don't even need to be there. You have to be careful what you wish for, because the Chinese have absolutely no problem increasing their presence uh, in the uh, Persian Gulf. Meanwhile, uh, after the president tweeted that at around 530 this morning, Pacific time, uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, reinforcing the, the concept of freedom of navigation, which is the U.S. Navy's side gig. It's their side hustle uh, in that part of the world, in the South China Sea, and et cetera. So Iran continued to threaten more U.S. drones. Iran's naval commander, meanwhile, warns Iranian forces would not hesitate to act again and shoot down more U.S. surveillance drones that violate Iranian airspace. He, um, uh, also, the foreign minister, Zarif, uh, releasing a, uh, a plot of the American RQ-4 that most uh, non-aligned observers, I mean, open-source trackers of aircraft in international airspace, agree was doctored. The The actual track of the uh, aircraft was being broadcast at the time. Anybody could see it. Um, it's If you go to Flight Radar 24 or you or FlightAware.com, if you, if you download those, those apps... You can track it in real time, too. So, uh, anyway, that uh, is what's going on there foreign policy-wise. Um, Swamp Watch-wise, Bernie Sanders has a cunning plan, uh, unless you can do math. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders introduced a plan today to eliminate $1.6 trillion in student debt currently held by 45 million Americans. And he's looking at Wall Street to pay for its cost, um, along with uh, Pramila Jayapal from Seattle. Ilan Omar, as heard earlier today, 
uh, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they're proposing a Wall Street tax, a tax of 0.5% on all trades, fees on bonds, and derivatives. <clears throat> According to Sanders, the tax would raise $2.4 trillion over 10 years. Um, According to the Federal Reserve, the majority of young adults with college degrees went into debt in order to graduate. In 2017, one in five individuals with student loans were behind on their payments. And, uh, and I mean, I learned this in Econ 101, that if you throw money at a thing, uh, you, you get more of that thing. If you throw money at tuition, tuition goes up. So I don't know if you guys want to reveal personal financial details, but uh, if you can come up with a club name, are any of you still in college debt in the air mix room? Well, it's awesome. You must feel great. So it's pure profit from this point forward. Well, then I don't see the problem, frankly. But uh, I, I know this, that the, the uh, ease of lending went up with the availability of student loans and that the cost of tuition uh, commensurately went up because there was available money. There was money being thrown at private and public universities uh, throughout the 90s and the early 2000s. And so uh, if, if, if you... If you want their money, they will take. They, they will gladly give you your money, and you'll have a student loan. And then it's. Uh, I I don't know what the process is now that it's not explained. You know, you are uh, on the hook to repay this, uh, I guess. But this is this is what I hear constantly from uh, millennials that the the man's boot is on their neck because of all the uh, the the student loans and, and how you don't repay it. And so I, maybe I'm also missing something else <clears throat> on this, and, and I don't know. You do have to s- notice one thing, though. Like, when I went to college eons ago, it wasn't that expensive. And now it's thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year, as opposed to three or $4,000. You're talking in-state with room and board and all that? Just the tuition part, yeah. The in-state tuition. Because I went, I went back in, in real dollars and looked at the Washington State University, and it's approximately the same uh, as it is now. And I mean, I, I, I don't. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be Mister Get Off My Lawn. I mean, if Bernie Sanders, uh, his, he's going to make the needle move with this amongst people who generally don't vote, millennials and all that. But I mean, is there a law against working when you're in college now? Because there wasn't when I was in college. But is there's there a good now? thing there wasn't because I did. <sighs> I mean, and maybe I'm being simplistic. But I also made minimum wage when I was working yeah. in college, and not fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year. I mean, I again, I, 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 I would punch me back in nineteen eighty four if someone <laughs> talked to me like this. But I, I went in state. I was on a Navy ROTC scholarship. I worked as a houseboy in a sorority, so I wasn't paying for food at my fraternity. Um, and I got a stipend, and then I worked as a bartender and server at Swillies, which is like the swankiest bistro in Pullman, Washington. And it was sort of expected. And then, but the, uh, but the, uh, here's here's the asterisk on this. I did fish in Alaska during the summers. So that, that was pretty. That's pretty lucrative, though, that, isn't it? Um, oh, did you work on a fishing boat, or you just went and played? I did salmon, and I did uh, the herring run, which is very limited. So in 1986, in a two week period, I made thirty thousand dollars at at the age of whatever twenty one. Thirty thousand bucks in two weeks. So I'm a little maybe I should just STFU on this about the cost of college, but uh, and I did find a way to blow thousands of it uh, in Greece before school started. But uh, but the point being that by golly I worked during during college and it's a very inside baseball thing. If you don't know uh, how to get on a herring boat, you're not going to make that 
you're not going to make 3000 bucks a day for five days on, on the herring run. So I'm just going to go ahead and ex- recuse myself from this debate. But uh, let me just end by saying, you darn kids, get a job. All right, uh, back right of this, more <laughs> Swamp Watch uh, when we come back, because Mayor Pete Buttigieg is not down with the black man. And that uh, we have the video to prove it right after this. On the Gary and Shannon Show, Brian Suits, filling in KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. It is Gary and Shannon. Uh, Gary and Shannon are on vacation. Brian Suits filling in for Gary and Shannon. Well, there was a time that I maintained that if Martians landed and said, take us to your white man, they'd come to me. Well, then Pete Buttigieg came on the scene, and then he fired a black police chief several years ago because the chief of police, uh, it was uh, immaterial that he was black, was recording, was secretly recording phone calls of his own officers, which turns out to be illegal. So he fired him, and uh, people went murmur, murmur, murmur. And then um, one night several weeks ago, Eric Logan, a local prowler of cars and fans of other people's stuff, uh, who had had prior interactions with the long arm of the law, uh, was doing it again. Police were called. In this case, a uh, sergeant with years of experience came on the scene. Uh, body cams are required in South Bend, Indiana, where Pete Boot Edge Edge is the mayor of the burg of about 100,000 people. <clears throat> His camera wasn't on. Um, he says that car prowler Eric Logan uh, turned on him and produced a knife. A knife was found, uh, by the way, there. Um, and he discharged his firearm, killing Eric Logan. And uh, because that South Bend, Indiana uh, police sergeant uh, is of light pallor, some would say even uh, Caucasian, uh, people there are saying it's a ra- it is therefore a racist killing, that Eric Logan was killed because he was racist. So this is happening during Pete Buttigieg's uh, presidential run. So, so he decided, it's pretty clear, that he decided, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to look presidential. I'm going to have an open house. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna break my campaign for for a couple of days. Go back to South Bend. I'm gonna host a town hall, and it's gonna look super presidential. I'm gonna look even minded, even handed, uh, and presidential. And I, by the way, did I mention POTUS? So, problem is he's unable to interrupt people. There was no security. There was no system to hear people in a in in sort of a not conversational, but in a in a way that a single voice would be heard at a time. And most of it sounded like this. And our people was hurt. Dr. King said, everybody out here want to be Martin Luther King scholars, right? Dr. King said a riot is a voice of the unheard. I'm not encouraging a riot, but these people was unheard. These people was unheard, and that's why y'all getting a reaction y'all getting. So stop telling people shut up. Stop telling people how to feel. Because y'all don't, I'm not feeling the same way you're feeling. I've been fighting the same fight for these people for six years. I have to stop new black power because we got retaliated against. Let me just uh, interrupt the, your excellent point here for just a quick second and point out um, that uh, CNN decided that they should carry this live. So they did. And uh, presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg thought to himself, hey, great, CNN's here. This ought to be a great event. So let me describe to you. There's a split screen. There's a, there's a man gesticulating wildly as as he's talking. I got retaliated against for trying to fight against the Aaron Upper case. Meanwhile... Split screen left side. Mayor Pete is wearing a long sleeve white shirt with a tie, no jacket. 
he's at a blue desk on on the stage, and he has like a city attorney, some other official with the stage on him, and they're allowing a guy just to walk around like Kanye West and monologue on here. And so at, at one point, the moderator lost complete control, and just it it, it looked like uh, a, a goat's group the whole the whole thing. It it just did not wind up looking like a guy who was in charge. Like I think that's what he wanted. Uh, he wants he wants an opportunity to look to separate himself from the Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris's, who are not executives; they're elected representatives. He is a, he's an executive. He has been mayor of South Bend uh, for a while. Um, and here's the question about why don't they have cameras that turn on when the gun is pulled out of the holster? So if I understood your question correctly, it's about a feature where when a gun is removed from its holster, that is then that automatically activates the body camera. Is that correct? No. I'm sorry. I can't hear Jordan. I cannot hear Jordan speak if you're chatting over him. Please. When a shot is fired. When a shot. I don't know that as. So jo- Jordan, good question. That that technology exists, but it's not implemented. I t- I asked. I have the same questions that you did, and I called the company myself, and I talked to them myself. That's not Mayor Pete. That's his leg humper. Uh, I mean, not literally. That, that guy's at home. Um, the, the deal here uh, is the reason that no one has called for that, what they're calling for. It's a real simple explanation that Mayor Pete didn't know this uh, sort of uh, is, is his failure. But luckily, most of the Democratic audience can't think this through either. The reason police body cameras don't activate when a shot is fired because you're missing all the backstory. You're you're missing what led up to it. No cop walks out, draws and shoots, you know, and says, "I'm your Huckleberry." Doesn't work like that because there is a buildup of force. There is an escalation of force. Uh, if if there's something between, uh, uh, if there's several steps, uh, you know, after taser. A lot of people don't know this, but for most law enforcement in America, taser comes before nightstick. But many say you'd rather get the nightstick treatment than the taser. But taser, because there's no hands-on, is number one. Nightstick is afterwards. But by the time a weapon is drawn or a shot is fired, you're you're missing most of the interaction. And it's a pretty easy answer, but he didn't provide it. So anyway, it wound up the entire Mayor Pete. Uh, Buttigieg town hall didn't make him look presidential whatsoever. whatsoever. It looked like a monkey trying to mate with a football, uh, all in all. Beto O'Rourke, last uh, Swamp Watch here, Beto O'Rourke wants to tax uh, tax, uh, rich people who don't have kids in the military. Uh, Real deal. Robert Bobby Beto O'Rourke said on Monday he proposed taxing affluent American families who do not have members in the U.S. military as like his as a way to fund health care for veterans. Uh, he unveiled a plan for military veterans that includes a war tax. So this is going to die of silence, luckily, like his campaign. Uh, all right, uh, we'll be back. More local stuff. Uh, immigration front and center and latest out of Iran. Next hour, uh, Gary and Shannon Bright Suits filling in KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. She said I'm looking like a bad man. Forty more. 
stimulating talk. It is the Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Sussman will be joined by Lana Zach here in just a minute to talk about today's uh, big story. The president signing tough new sanctions against, specifically against uh, the supreme leader of Iran, uh, the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. And the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, uh, before the sanctions were signed, uh, he, when he landed in Saudi Arabia, uh, he announced them there. And I'm sorry, before he left, this is before he left uh, D.C., here's Mike Pompeo yesterday. On Monday, there'll be a significant set of new sanctions, and the world should know that we will continue to make sure it's understood that this effort that we've engaged in to deny Iran the resources to foment terror, to build out their nuclear weapon system, to build out their missile program. Uh, we are going to deny them the resources they need to do that, thereby keeping American interests and American people safe. The, the number one criticism seems to be, well, how can you expect uh, the, um, the uh, a party that you want to negotiate with, how do you expect them to negotiate when they have hard sanctions on them? And it's like, well, that's sort of the point, is leverage. You, you get them to agree to things, and then you lift the sanctions. You don't lift the sanctions get them to talk because that was the old playbook. That's where you give Iran $150 billion up front. You front load it. And then you say, um, now inspect now self inspect and self report. Uh, so earlier the president was in the Oval office, uh, signing. And after he signed and showed the sanctions, he took a few, uh, took a few questions. In a few moments, I'll be signing an executive order imposing hard-hitting sanctions on the Supreme Leader of Iran and the Office of the Supreme Leader of Iran and many others. Today's action follows a series of aggressive behaviors by the Iranian regime in recent weeks, including shooting down of U.S. drones and, and then he said this. America is a peace-loving nation. We do not seek conflict with Iran or any other country. I look forward to the day when sanctions can be finally lifted and Iran can become a peaceful, prosperous, and productive nation. That can go very quickly. It can be tomorrow. It can also be in years from now. So I look forward to uh, discussing whatever I have to discuss with anybody that wants to speak. In the meantime, who knows what's going to happen. I can. There you go. And this probably, in, in all likelihood, may have gone unnoticed. Uh, except that after his, part of his team saw some of the the vibe over the weekend that he that he backed down from striking Iran, um, though in in reality he took good advice to not take the bait of the Revolutionary Guard because uh, this is exactly what they want. They want an American strike in Iran. They want dead Iranians so that they would have a, a provocation. They cause us belly to target Americans in Iraq, and then before you know it, Trump is involved in the very kind of Middle Eastern war that he said uh, he he would not be. Uh, we'll play a little bit of uh, Trump on uh, Meet the Press a little later on. Uh, it got contentious with uh, Chuck Todd, but uh, Landon Zach from ABC News joins us and uh, has has the wrap-up. I saw some of the back and forth with the, the foreign minister, uh, Javed Zarif, but but start start at the beginning. These, these were signed this morning. What specifically makes these hard-hitting on the supreme leader of Iran? Well, according to the president, they really targeted uh, the Supreme Leader as well as 
um, other people, according to Steve Mnuchin, um, the Treasury Secretary, that uh, were part of the chain of command for um, for the the decision to shoot down the unmanned U.S. drone. Um, he said that it's not necessarily that they were aware of it, still kind of making leaving open the possibility that the, that the president's speculation in the Oval Office before that it was a mistake, even though Iran never said that that was the case, uh, that that could still be a possibility. But um, but ultimately, they are saying that this is more targeted at the leadership, and uh, and they tried to the administration tried to say today again that that their beef is not with the Iranian people, but rather uh, with uh, the Ayatollah and uh, and with the others in leadership there. And and they also uh, double down on the idea that um, that Iran cannot acquire nuclear weapons, and that everything that the administration does is in opposition to that idea, and that they hope um, that they would be open to dialogue because the president today said that he would be. I noticed that uh, that the Ayatollah, the Supreme Leader, um, is still on Twitter, though. So, so, yeah. so how hard <laughs> of a sanction can that be, that, that they're not blocking his IP address from the tweeter? Well, you know, uh, I don't know that the president has the ability to do those sorts of things, right? Um, this is this was really sanctions that targeted uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini um, uh, really financially, as opposed to um, being able to to necessarily block out all of uh, all of his social media accounts. And um, part of what the president says he wants to do is is have a relationship, have communication. So, in that respect. Uh, we also heard from um, from uh, an Iranian official that they agree 100 percent with President Trump um, in terms of one thing that he said today, which is that he felt like the United States has uh, too much of a presence in um, in the uh, the area and that he would like to pull back uh, the United States protections from those those vital shipping lanes. Um, and uh, and that was something that the Iranian government seemed to think was was right up their alley. Well, I mean, you know, he was being trolled. That was the foreign minister, Javed Zarif, saying, saying, well, we agree with Trump 100 percent. You have no business in the Persian Gulf. And I mean, and that's, you know, so now now you're in this war of dank takes where Trump at 5 a.m. Pacific time, uh, you know, is tweeting what he said about we have no business there anyway because we produce so much energy. And that's a, a hanging curveball for Javed Zarif, who's a colloquial, you know, native speaker of English. Right, he set him up and he spiked the ball. Oh yeah, on just completely th- hit it back at the beach volleyball team at, at the White House. It was that's right. What, so. Uh, and 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 it still remains to be seen. The administration um, was not really clear about if about um, what other aspects of retaliatory measures are are likely going to be taken. We've um, been talking a lot about uh, some of the the cyber command uh, resources of the U.S. government, to, um, and and that's potentially uh, another thing that we're we're learning more about, and that that the Trump administration could execute uh, attacks on um, on. On, on Iran's um, infrastructure through uh, cyber warfare. So there are other aspects. And again, the president never took military action off of the table, though he felt like in this instance, um, it was fundamentally a uh, disproportionate response to have those strikes with, uh, with, with casualties in Iran, human casualties in Iran for the unmanned drone. And, and uh, uh, the heads up uh, from, from me to you, four E three sentries, the airborne warning control aircraft, are headed to Al Darfa Air Base in the, uh, the UAE. Also, yesterday, 
this very obscure aircraft, the E-11, the Battlefield Air Control Node, the Bacon, as they call it, um, an aircraft almost in, absolutely required to conduct a, a strike these days, uh, it, it headed there also. So we're, we're backfilling the requirements for, and that might be for posture, that might be for appearances, but we are back to and, and we did know and and we did know from the administration early on that they have been uh, that they have been deploying additional resources in the region and um, we thought we were all on on alert after the president said that uh, that he was not ruling out military action that that was very much possible and and it may still be in the cards remember we'll have to see um, how Tehran decides to respond to any of these actions and if it further escalates tensions. Alrighty, uh, Lana Zach for ABC News joins us. Thanks a lot for uh, for talking. We'll talk to you later this week, maybe. Thank you. All right, there she goes. Uh, and yeah, for the record, the supreme leader of uh, Iran, the the guy with ultimate power, he doesn't answer to anybody else. Uh, no constitution, no nothing. Uh, the last thing he tweeted was June twentieth, uh, when he said, "Quote: Our duty is to honor the martyrs and their families. We should not forget that the families of the martyrs are the top priority in terms of the value of their patience and their hard work." We should honor them and respect them. And then he went, eggplant, eggplant, donut, donut, and then that winking smiley emoji. So that that was uh, from June 20th. He's been silent ever since. But back right after this, it is the Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Seed filling in for Gary and Shannon. And we're going to uh, – Alex Stone is going to talk to us about uh, Cody Bellinger just blatantly trying to kill somebody by uh, hitting a line drive right into the crowd. Uh, or – was it something else? After this, KFI M 640, more stimulating talk. With every role that you play, the revolution terrorized. KFI M 640, more stimulating talk. It is Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in for Gary and Shannon. Uh, the top story today, Trump signing new sanctions against Iran. Uh, how, how hard-hitting they actually are, we'll, we'll see. Well, there there is, and... Uh, and the top story that's not a story today is that there is a tremendous amount of what's called uh, command and control that is flying forward to Al-Darfa Air Base in the Emirates, uh, as well as uh, uh, Bahrain and uh, Saudi Arabia. So the, the skeleton, the command and control skeleton for a pretty significant strike against Iran is still still leaning forward in the saddle and going there. And just know this, <clears throat> it's very expensive to send that stuff downrange. Because you're sending, in the case of the E3 Sentry, four of those. You're, you're sending about 20-something officers per plane downrange, um, all the uh, ground support, the whole thing. It's, it's a major movement. And so, uh, so there's that. And the Iranians saying that they will uh, possibly continue to threaten uh, drones that fly near their 12-mile ter- territorial limit, and so and this and the interruption that would be to air travel. This is, this is a kind of a really significant thing that flying over Iran is the shortest route from Europe to Asia, Asia to Europe. Uh, in in most cases, as, at least from India to Europe. Um, if you're in Japan, you fly over the North Pole, you fly over over Russia, but it's it's a significant uh, air route. Um, well, it, uh, it it didn't happen again like last year when a, when a woman died, but a young lady struck by a foul ball by that foul player, Cody Bellinger. Scary scene today at Dodger Stadium when a foul ball off the bat of Cody Bellinger oh. struck a fan in the face. As the one-two comes home and Bellinger rifles a foul. 
Just beyond the protective netting. Pretty good advertisement for more netting. The young woman was taken to a hospital for precautionary tests. She was alert and answering questions. She had been sitting four rows from the field. Down- and it was, they said it was a, the Dodgers precautionary thing. And uh, I'm being unfair. Cody Bellinger looked uh, absolutely uh, mortified that this uh, happened, as, as you would. Uh, the immigration raids that were on were now off earlier today. We talked with Steve Gregory, our immigration specialist about that and he had some input about uh, who who were were they really raids or were was it just people knocking on doors with signed orders from a judge here's steve the sort of damocles as bernie sanders i believe said last night that this these deportation raids are a sort of damocles uh so how high is it dangling <laughs> well you know it's funny nice word but a uh, nice word by the way um i i have to tell you that this is something that um you know, there are enforcement operations that are ongoing constantly. I think I don't think people realize that Immigration Customs Enforcement, ICE, uh, has removal operations on a weekly basis. This is something that goes on constantly. It just happened to be that um, it was being ramped up. And, and i got to be honest with you, I know of another operation that's coming up in a couple weeks. And something has been planned now for at least uh, two months. Remember the last There's time when the, when the Oakland mayor... Uh, like posted it on Facebook, and and she announced beforehand uh, right. about three years ago, two or three years ago. So what is it? Yeah. Spill the beans, Gregory. Well, <laughs> I can't do that uh, because I may very well be going alone on that operation. So I can tell you that this is something that, again, and I hate to do this because these are my colleagues I'm talking about, but this is, is a very um, twisted way of reporting this. I, uh, I'm watching this. It's very similar to what I observed at the border back in January when, you know, when, law, when tear gas was being shot because people were rushing the fence. And, I, I mean, if I had not witnessed it with my own eyes, I would have thought it was a lie. But some of this stuff is not being reported quite, uh, quite the right way. Th- thoroughly. Um, I'll be generous and say thoroughly. There's, first the con- of all, lacking context. And you would know this of, of anybody, but these aren't raids. Um, these are enforcement operations, of, as you mentioned, to people that already have been served with uh, deportation or removal orders. These are not raids. Um, this is not a, uh, you know, it's just an indiscriminate sort of uh, blanket just knocking down doors, and that's not the way it happens. It's the same thing when people are talking about agents ripping, and that's the word, ripping children from the arms of their parents. No such thing happens. First of all, agents don't touch the children. It's, you know, people from housing, urban, uh, excuse me, from the uh, health and human services agency. They're the people that take care of the families, and it's not the agents. So, a, first of all, this is the thing that, in talking to one of my ICE agents, uh, it sources over the weekend, um, this person was very, you know, kind of crucial to me in making sure that I had the latest information. And, and the first thing that that person said was, you know, we hate the word raids. These are not raids. These are enforcement operations that are pre-planned, and these are operations that are going on because we have a warrant from a judge, and that this is not, you know. So, and I had to really kind of step back for a moment because I was starting to use the word raids until it was clarified to me. So, um, there's a lot of misinformation, and these operations are ongoing. That's what Immigration Customs Enforcement does on a daily basis. This is their job. And then 
HSI, or Homeland Security Investigations, which is an arm of that, they're the ones that investigate internally and do all of the, the human trafficking and the drug trafficking. And when they're investigating it, then the ICE agents are the ones that affect the arrests. So these, this is what the agency is supposed to do. This is what their charge is. And so this is what's so frustrating to the agents because it's a lot of vilification going on. Steve Gregory, everybody, right there, our immigration expert. Uh, it is Gary Chen's show. Brian Suits filling in. We'll talk with Alex Stone about liability, Dodger Stadium, and that Cody Bellinger. He's a loose cannon, I tell you. That more coming up. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Sipping on straight glory. Let the vibes slide over me. This beat is a chemical. Beat is a chemical. When I leave, don't say Gary and Chen, KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Brian Suits filling in for Gary and Shannon. Uh, today, tomorrow, on Wednesday. Uh, following the reaction out of Iran, already the foreign minister, Javed Zarif, we'll get to that a little later on, reacting more to Trump's tweet this morning that happened around 5 a.m. Pacific time about uh, no one is compensating us for keeping the Strait of Hormuz open. Why are we even there? We produce more energy than anyone. And it was he walked into that one. Zarif said, we agree with you 100 percent. You don't belong in the Persian Gulf. <clears throat> so that happened. Uh, well, speaking of happening, it happened again. Uh, as I said there uh, yesterday at Dodger Stadium, uh, a line drive <clears throat> down the first base. Well, not about 10 degrees off the first baseline into the audience, uh, hitting a young woman. Uh, Alex Stone, my liability lawyer, is here for <laughs> hockey games and baseball games. Um, and uh, who, first of all, if someone extended the safety net, not that the Dodgers did it yes, last year, but apparently not far enough. Well, yeah, that's the thing. And uh, there's been this debate in uh, baseball even before this season, but now it's extending into this season uh, because of all of the, the cases of people who have been hit, but over just how far these nets should go out. All of the teams have now extended them out as of this season to the end of the dugouts. And, there were some who last season even debated, was that too far? Was that not far enough? But there have continued to be these cases. And uh, there was, of course, uh, Linda Goldblum, the, the 79-year-old woman uh, who died after she was hit last August. And that kind of led uh, all the MLB teams to decide, okay, let's try to extend these out. Her case was at Dodger Stadium. Then there were some other cases that came about last month. There was a foul ball at a Houston Astros game. They were playing the Cubs. Uh, some folks said, okay, this is uh, the case where a young girl was hit. This needs to be the change. Then that same day, there was another foul ball at Dodger Stadium, first baseline. They were playing the Mets, and a fan was hit. He wasn't all that seriously hurt. He had a little bit of a red spot on his head. Uh, he was dabbing it with a napkin, but... People said, okay, yet again, we need to talk about this. June 10th, uh, the White Sox uh, had the, the Nationals in town. Female fan was uh, hit by a foul ball. And then this one yesterday. So there's some talk about uh, do they need to go all the way out? A couple of teams are looking at it now. Uh, the White Sox and the Nationals uh, have announced in the last couple of weeks that they're now going to extend within probably the next year or so the, the, foul pole, the uh, netting out to the foul poles that they want to bring it all the way out there. Other teams are saying that's too expensive or that they think it, it impedes the, the viewer experience, the fan experience, but wouldn't be surprised with now the Nationals and White Sox doing it, with the continued cases of it, 
there are going to be more teams saying, all right, we got to do it as well. And uh, Bill Handel, uh, the morning show, allegedly a lawyer, he was talking about this this morning, that when you buy that ticket, it's assumption of risk. And they, they spell out what could happen to you. The field announcer, the PA announcer, before the first pitch is even thrown, uh, urges the audience uh, to be cautious and, and all that. That's just the way it is. Same with hockey games. And the, the bottom line and, and I, I don't want to be that, that guy, but the bottom line is you paid for a game, watch the game. I mean, an adult should be watching the game, and you should always sit between home plate and your kids. So that worst-case scenario, you put your own body between the ball. Well, yeah. I mean, Major League Baseball also is looking at here of what if fans decide that they don't want to go because uh, it, it's too dangerous for them if they have a family. I mean, i got to say, we were at a, a Jethawks game a couple of weeks ago up in uh, Lancaster. The Lancaster Jethawks. That's right. Great experience. Those are my, uh, my Rockies minor league team, single-A team. Uh, but as we were there, it was like dodging foul balls constantly. Most of them were, were pop flies, but uh, not line drives. We were right behind home plate. And, I mean, they were constantly coming where you had to keep watching. And, you know, you have a small kid, you have a beer in your hand, and you lose it in the, the clouds. Got to prioritize. Yeah, well, yeah. Got to prioritize, Alex. What kind of a uh, father are you? <laughs> or, you know, you're, you're, you're talking to your kid for a second, all of a sudden you hear it and you can't find it that you are dodging it. So there are times when you lose that ball. Yeah, you can say you went and for nine innings you paid attention to every single pitch and the second it left the bat that you were looking up in the sky and tracking it. But, I mean, come on. Not not all of us as a, as a parent or even if you don't have kids with you wants to be, yeah, we want to watch the game, but you also don't want to be on guard the entire time. You're there to have a good time. You're there to relax. That these teams are saying if fans, they already have at some stadiums, uh, issues with uh, filling those seats, and if they're going to continue to have this problem because parents or others say it's not safe to go, they don't want their kid to get hit by a foul ball, that is a business decision beyond the liability side, but as a business decision that if they can try to get more fans in those seats and fans feel safer with the netting there, then that might be the thing to do. But yeah, there's a liability side, too, that, yeah, we all know on the back of the ticket it says that, but at the same time, if people are going in there and they're getting hurt, and there's something the team can do, that there's going to be either uh, public you know, comment about it, debate. There could potentially be legal aspects to it. All things that these teams want to dampen down. They don't want that coming out against their teams. They want to keep it as quiet as they can, any kind of opposition. And if they can put up more netting and it fixes that and it keeps fans safe, some teams and some members of uh, the MLB are saying, why not? You know, we heard last night from Dave Roberts, and he said he supports extending the netting Bellinger, who hit that foul ball, he says that, that he thinks that that's something that would be a good idea as well. Why not not hurt people if if you can just put up netting and stop it from happening? Is that Jumbotron footage of you shielding your face with your infant son, is that still up on YouTube? Well, that's the other, you know, I, I haven't played since Little League when uh, I was a horrible second baseman, even though I claim to have been a great second baseman, but my family tells a, a very different story. That, yeah, I watch those things come and I think, my God, if that comes to me, Am I going to be able to, to catch it and protect my child? Is it going to be one of those stingers that goes through your hand and you know, hits the, the plastic seat below and bounces back up? But you hope you'll be that hero that catches it perfectly. Um, yeah, and uh, hockey had the same, still has the same problem. And believe me, uh, and let me ask you this, would you, rather be, would you rather be hit in the shoulder with a line drive or a hockey puck? 
I think probably neither, uh, but probably better would be the line drive. At least there's usually, because of where the netting is right now, a little more distance than where you might get it from the hockey puck. Yeah, the, the force is more spread out on a sphere, and that puck starts life as vulcanized rubber, and it's very concentrated. I saw a guy with one of those bruises, uh, it didn't it uh, with a hockey puck bruise. Uh, no. It didn't didn't if he weren't so hooched up, it, it would have been uh, probably an <laughs> ER visit. So, uh, all right, um, uh, Alex Stone, thanks a lot for uh, talking to us, and uh, and and, and, and Cody Bellinger, uh, they're not going to cut him, right? He's not he's not <laughs> a threat to life in Limonella. No, and and to his credit, he went over and he made sure that the young woman uh, yesterday was doing okay, and she ended up sitting in the seat for quite a while. They put ice on her head, and then she went off to get some. Uh, just preventative test done, but he went over, checked on her. She gave him a thumbs up. Other members of the team went over. They they paused the game for six minutes while they were making sure and everybody was watching the the medics and the, the security work with her. And uh, but it it brings up this debate again. But Bellinger, he says he felt horrible about it. You could yeah. see in the moment when it hit, he saw it hit her in the face that he was stunned and he was watching and they didn't play ball for a little while. The only thing he's assaulting is horse hide. All righty. Although they did beat my Rockies. That that I'm not too too happy about. Uh, All righty, Alex Stone watching the standings as the Dodgers get smaller and smaller in the view. Uh, We'll uh, talk to you soon. You got it. All right, come on. We'll uh, take a break. Come back right after this. We'll wrap up uh, our top headlines. For the day, the uh, sanctions and more stuff and and, uh, get you up to date on uh, other stuff. Uh, In the Women's World Cup, it's uh, Sweden 1, Canada 0. And then the World Cup. That would be nil. No, you're right. 1 nil. 1 nil. In the World Cup of uh, ancient architecture, it's Hadrian's Wall 2 and the the Parthenon 3. Uh, Back right after this, Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Come on, love will be just fine. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM, 640 more stimulating talk. Brian Seeds filling in for gas. And I'll be back tomorrow and Wednesday. Then Mo Kelly Thursday and Friday. Uh, I'm at Dark Secret Place on the... Twitter machine, and the top story today, the president signing uh, more sanctions, specifically against the supreme leader, uh, the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, um, and the Revolutionary Guards and, and others behind the scenes. This, this hasn't really, I haven't seen a lot of this on the TV, but we, we have also ramped up an ongoing cyber war against the Iranians, and the, the NSA's uh, measures against the Iranian nuclear program specifically uh, were called Olympic Games. And you might have heard of Stuxnet, uh, which was a, a piece of malware that uh, that gave f- uh, false uh, velocity readings on Iranian centrifuges. So the monitor said everything was fine. But when they got up to 20,000 RPM or 25,000 RPM, Stuxnet would would shoot a little blip in the power, and they there would be a subsequent instability, and they would literally explode as as they're sitting there trying to refine uranium. Um, and so <clears throat> it worked extremely well, very very well, and it, and it probably would have gone undetected for a long time, except the Israelis are the ones who goosed it, who put it in fifth gear, because uh, they wanted that program uh, done really fast. But there's the, there's a cyber war against Iran, and Iran is specifically vulnerable to this as many countries in the middle east are but the iranian achilles heel 
is that they pirate software. The Iranian government figures, why pay for that license? Why pay Adobe for a license? Why pay for Windows 10 uh, or whatever? Because that my buddy got it in Hong Kong. And they, they do literally sit there and, and rip CDs, and they run government systems off of pirated software. And they walk around with it on thumb drives and stuff like that because Stuxnet, they, their nuclear program got a three-year kick in the crotch and doubled over because some guy brought a thumb drive. into. They had this, this theoretically closed system. Um, you weren't supposed to bring in your laptop or anything. And a guy, sure enough, he brought in a, a thumb drive with pirated software, and he... He infected the Iranian uh, nuclear program. None of this is confirmable, and I'll deny it if you repeat it to anyone, but it's called Operation Olympic Games, and it's underway um, again. Specifically, we're trying to be real specific about the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, who are the the the, the nexus of power uh, in in Iran. And uh, when, when reached for comment, the uh, Supreme Leader said... Because all I see here is a bunch of single women. Um... Okay, no, no. Watch a single woman criticizing what we do here. And then you go back no, and sit no, down. Let, let's, let's. You got it. Okay, co- co- yeah, no explanation why so many English speakers uh, were, were there. Um, and uh, Deborah Mark is here. Did you hear the thing about the coyote attack in San Dimas where the coyote came into their house and ate their Yorkie? No, I missed that, thank goodness. No, not out in the yard. In not, their house through a doggy door? It, I, I don't know. I, I, you have to assume. They had little, like, eight-year-old, York, eight ten-pound Yorkie. <sighs> when the coyote came in, and it didn't, it didn't, you know, skive off with the dog. It ate it there oh. and left bits. And then, uh, and then it left, and they left behind evidence, uh, we'll say. Um, and so uh, their coyotes are out this year because they had a lot of pups because it was a wet year. So I'll I'll leave with this bit of advice uh, that if especially if you're in the foothills, uh, if you're in Hollywood Hills, if if you're uh, in the valley, especially out in the West Valley, and all, if you have a small dog, a toy dog, and you let it run around your backyard, um, I'll just I'll just say this one more time: put a muzzle on it or a or a bark collar, one of those ones that that keeps it from barking because <clears throat> it gives them a shock. Uh, because this this may not have come to mind, but you're, when you have a yipper, when you have a toy dog or a Bjorkie or whatever, when it's out in your backyard barking, that's a dinner bell for coyotes. If you have a big dog going, woof, woof, I'm huge, you can't eat me, that's that's a warning to coyotes to avoid that backyard. But if coyotes hear yips uh, and, and all that, they, they remember it. They go back there. They're extremely smart uh, opportunists. And can everyone just stop putting missing cat signs up on the phone poles here in the Southland? I have very bad news for you. The cat's not missing. Can you just keep your cats inside if you live up in the hills where there are tons of coyotes, please? Yeah! Thank you. And and if the cat doesn't come back for tuna, if you have four cans of tuna out and there's no cat and now you're attracting raccoons, here's the deal. I got bad news. You're not getting that cat back. It's It's not anywhere. And and then, you know, how do raccoons survive? Raccoons kick ass. Coyotes bypass raccoons because, because raccoons will come at you like spider monkeys. There, there's a cost to that. Coyotes aren't stupid, but they do learn, hmm, I smell a chlorine pool and I hear a yipper. And, uh, yes, they can clear a seven-foot fence, and in they come, they take out your toy dog. So, and again, don't, don't, don't go down to uh, Staples and make 100 copies there's, and, and, and save the reward. Um, so uh, there you go. 
Uh, all right, John and Ken are up next, and uh, I'll be back tomorrow morning. Um, but I never did get to Cam Newton offering fifteen hundred bucks to trade a first place seat, but it uh, seems pretty low rent for a rich guy to be offering only fifteen hundred bucks to someone else who's wealthy in first class. But we'll we'll, pro- we'll probably do two hours on this tomorrow, I believe. I have Nick bringing in psychologists and uh, and specialists in economic disparity. That and more. Uh, Brian suits back tomorrow. At 10 a.m. for Gary and Shannon. Johnny Ken up next. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. Be sure to be with us next time for further adventures of Gary and Shannon.